of small town music. This is big town music. He's ahead of his time, you know, but he can't use it. If only he could prove it. Well, tomorrow's just a song away, a song away, a song away. Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis. And I'm Kyle Dawson. And uh, Kyle, you had a little traffic uh, incident today? Yeah. What'd you do? Uh, I'm, I blame you, is what I do immediately. No, the one on one was closed. Okay. Or the exit, so I had to like circle around, and then when I got over here, the other street, they were like paving it, so I had to like... Hmm, not as funny as I thought it would be. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Kyle, I'm excited for today. Yeah, me too. Because we, you're not. <laughs> you lie. Uh, no, we have, a, we have a filmmaker in our midst. Yes. Which is amazing. I love when people make a film. It seems like such a daunting process to me. And I'm sure we're going to find out. He's shaking his head that it is. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to introduce you to him uh, right now as the, as the director and the person that spearheaded this whole entire project. It's a documentary about the band Chicago. It's called Now More Than Ever, The History of Chicago. I've seen it. I saw a little sneaky, uh, sneaky peeky at this. Not a lot of people have seen it. Only, only, only people in the know have seen this. <laughs> and uh, this gentleman's name is Mr. Peter Pardini. Hello. How are you doing, Peter? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. Uh, now, a couple of things I want to tell you about Peter. Peter Pardini was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with his lovely girlfriend, Katie. Katie. Thank you. I, I forget what I called her that night. Like Kitty or something. something. Annabelle. Annabelle, something no. terrible. Hey, Trixie. Um, but you Close. were at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Uh, Jimmy Pardo and I were, were basically, once we hooked up with you, the, the four of us were a, a team the whole entire night. Uh, Jimmy and I had press passes, and you had talent passes? Is that yeah, what they said? I, I don't know how we got those. Even We, we went in with the band, but mm-hmm. <laughs> they gave us talent passes, and the tour manager was like, how'd you get a talent pass? You're not talent. That's that. That's Last not. Like that's not nice. You're you're a you're a filmmaker and your and your girlfriend's an actress. So you both have talent. There you go. Um, also, you are uh, you are the nephew of one of the current members of Chicago, Lou Pardini. He is on keyboards and vocals. Right. And um, was that exciting when when he were you a Chicago fan prior to Lou joining the band? Yeah. Um, he had. You know, I'd listened obviously to classic rock mm-hmm. when I was younger. So. You know, the radio is always Saturday in the Park, 25 or 6 to 4, you know, mm-hmm. any of those early songs. Um, but he had actually done a stint with the band in 1999, I think, where oh, that's he, interesting. he filled he... in for like one or two shows or okay. something. And um, so I started listening to Chicago mm-hmm. more because of that. Um, and then at a certain point in 2009, he actually joined the band. And then a year later, I was working for the band. So... Oh, what were you, like, I didn't know you were working for the band. What were you doing for the band? Um, Merch? They needed, they needed no. <laughs> they needed somebody to record um, a behind-the-scenes for their Christmas album, mm-hmm. and they didn't want to really pay what companies were asking for okay. a four-day work, you know, like $10,000 for four days, and it's like, no. So my uncle's like, well, my nephew just graduated from film school. And they're like, done. <laughs> yeah, he might do it for free, and then I did it for free, and then... They liked what I did, and I got hired and w- went on the road with them for two years. So then, what did see? I didn't see. This is great. I love this. I love this backstory. I had no idea. What did you do on the road for them then? Merch. I took a ca- yeah. I, no merch. <laughs> merch A. But then I brought. I just took a camera and filmed everything behind the scenes, their shows, and uh, I made a ninety-minute 
just kind of tour mm-hmm. documentary that was screened uh, around the country at for Fathom events. Okay, for two nights that they did not promote. <laughs> so I, we, went, I saw that. Yeah, I saw that Fathom event. Uh, Pardo and I went to that. Yeah, he was telling me that, and you probably were two of the. 80 people in the country that saw it. There weren't a lot of people in the theater, but we, again, it was one of those things where we you want to go to this? I don't know if I'm driving the whole way out to Woodland Hills to see that. That's my pardo. And then he did. And afterwards I'm like, that was really fun. I'm glad we saw that. That was cool. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun experience making it, but I was in Indianapolis at the time that it came out and the band let me go and take a taxi and go mm-hmm. see the movie. And I'm thinking there's going to be people there. So I'm at the premiere of my first movie yeah. and I'm the only person in the theater now, and it was very depressing. what happens to that now once it shows like that in the theater then it just you can't buy that or anything it's well it went to it, you can buy it it went to Palladia oh you can um, okay it, it was on Palladia for a couple of years okay. and then um, it's available through the band site it's like Chicago World Tour 2011 oh, okay cool yeah now you said you go when I was younger I used to listen to classic but you're not an old guy at all well I mean, I'm 29, but I'm not yeah. old. Yeah, I'll be 27. Yeah, yeah. so oh, we're the so, same age, well, but I'm saying like... No, wait a minute. Kyle, are you making a film right now? <laughs> no. Okay, see, pretty <laughs> impressive, Peter. I, I didn't make a film at 29 either. Still, I was it. very fortunate to come into the situation that I was in. And, you know, I'm, I am a very driven person, but at the same time, it's, you know, I had this opportunity to kind of, A, do research. Yeah unbeknownst to myself that I was doing research for a a feature film for the first three years working for this band. And then by the time I actually started making the movie, it's like, that's, you know, you could, you could get Martin Scorsese to come in and do a documentary and, you know, he might not know anything about Chicago and have to do it right then. Right. So I had three years of, of, uh, of uh, pre production. Yeah. So to speak, no, I was doing it. So, so how, when the fathom thing came out, how old were you? 25 that's crazy yeah that's really really cool i think i was the youngest person at the theater yeah (laughs) i was the only person i was the youngest director to have a movie in over like 500 theaters that year so that was but that's on your resume i hope Mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah it's uh it was fun and you know i got to just like i said just got to do all this amazing stuff and get this experience without having Mm -hmm. to you know really it was a struggle making everything Mm -hmm. but i feel fortunate that it was like surrounded by all these people who'd been successful for so long i need to ask you a couple questions uh that uh i don't know and that people that listen probably don't know when you're working for chicago for two years and you're on the road with them what how do you travel do you travel are you on a bus are you are you on a bus with the band are you on the bus with the crew how does that work uh, I was, because of the nature of what I was doing, mm-hmm. Lee Lockney had hired me to come and film, you know, their lives on the road pretty much. So by that, I was on the bus with the band from the get go. And nah. I don't think that I was, tra- I was traveling on the bus mm-hmm. with, um, the non-original members. And so I think that, which is I- funny because when you say the non-original members, you mean the guys that have been with them for 25, 30 yeah, years. Exactly. Okay. So for them, I don't think that right away they were all keen about it like this kid coming on the tour bus with them but even though jason chef joined the band when he was uh before i was born yeah but he was also like the age you were when you were on the bus with them yeah and so it took about a week but after they saw that i wasn't that i actually knew Mm -hmm. what you were doing things about music and i wasn't just some 
kid, they, mm-hmm. I became accepted pretty quickly. Yeah, that would be, I think that would be difficult because all of a sudden they come out to would do whatever they do on the bus, and you're like, oh, Christ, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I think that's probably the initial reaction. But Hi, Peter. Yeah, <laughs> they were they were very nice. They didn't. So you I were on sense, you were on with Keith Howland, the current guitarist, Jason Chef, uh, bass and vocals, um, Tris Tris and Bowden drums, and then there was the percussionist at the time who was Drew Hester. Yes. Um, and then now it's Wally who was about a year, yeah, a year and a half after I started, Wally came in. First time that we saw Wally in concert, I, in my head thought, I don't know about that guy. He seems like he's stealing focus a little bit. Really? Yes. Cause he was, he was very, very entertaining and very, and so I was like, I don't even, I don't know if I like that guy that much. Subsequently, every time I see him, love him. I oh, love him. He's great. A couple weeks ago, my wife forgot her her credit card at the Baked Potato, which is a club right here. So uh, I was recording here one night, and she called. She texts. She goes, "Can you run over to the Baked Potato? I think I left my credit card there last night." I go over. I walk in. Wally is playing drums with like th- four other guys. I was there. You were there that night? Yeah, well, what time did you go? Because there's two shows, so we left before the second set. But I was... I, I, I walked in probably during the second set. Okay, because we were... Katie and I were there. That was the, insane. Yeah. I was like... Excellent. I walk in and I go, I think that's the percussionist from Chicago. And then I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I stood Lou the plays there, too, like, sometimes. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, when, we, when I first moved out here, we used to go to the Baked Potato all the time. And like members of Kiss and all kinds of... One of my friends said one night Mick Jagger was there just watching a show. Just Mick sitting in the corner, just, just yeah. Hands on because who would know? It's such a, it's such. I don't want to say a hole in the wall, but it's such a. It's just. It's just. It's nothing. I think there's something romantic to musicians about playing in a place like place that like because that, yeah. it makes them feel, from an outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. I think it makes them feel like they are still that yo- that young musician and they're, who's and they're in just the starting club. out. They're in the club. It, it yeah. It, it forces you to be on your game because there's no mistakes that can yeah. be made. And I don't mean physically in a club. I mean, they're in that elite club. Yeah. We are musicians. We like watching other musicians play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a great, we used to go there all the time. It was such a great place. Yeah. Um, What else do I want to ask you about? So you're working for Chicago. You got all this footage. And when do you decide, you know what? I I think, I think Chicago needs like a real documentary about it. They've done it behind the music. They've done all kinds of little things here, but you want to really, really, cover all the bases. Well, one of the things that frustrated me was I, once I had become indoctrinated, I guess, in the Chicago, you know, history, mm. um, and indoctrinated is a good word actually, because it's, it's something I willfully did. It was my choice to become indoctrinated, but I, you know, would search online for footage and interviews and there really wasn't I was like, why has this band been around for 45 plus years? And yeah. there's nothing. There's just nothing. Yeah. Like it's, there's concert footage mm-hmm. and there's an interview they did in 1971 mm-hmm. on NBC. But well, there's, like, we talked off mic, we were talking about the Tom Petty documentary. And in that documentary, there's footage from like everything. Yeah. Like, and it's just like, who, who, why did they have a camera on? At their first rehearsal in 1975, I mean, who? Well, Robert Lamb says that he wished that they did that more. Yeah, and you know, I think the fact that there wasn't that much stuff made it a better movie because I was forced to become more creative. I have seen hardly anything that's in your film. I mean, 
this footage that you did show, I, Great. I was like, where's that? Where's that from? How do you get that? That's well, what happened was I initially started making it and I compiled everything that I found online and was just hoping that, you know, the footage would exist mm -hmm. in its high resolution form at some, you know, studio somewhere. And by luck, I mean, 98% of it existed somewhere. And the other 2%, we just, you know, had to live with the fact that it looked bad and we'll wait for once the movie comes out for some licensor to come and come after us. But basically, <laughs> you know, all the Dick Clark stuff we knew that's going to be there. Yeah. We didn't know how much it was going to cost until after we'd made the movie. But, you know, there still wasn't enough um, because at a certain point it's just cutting between music videos and people yeah. talking and at a certain, you know, like I was, I've, I've been kind of hinting at is you have to gain people's trust in the band. And when you start out and you're 26 and I started this at 26 and you know, I think there was a hesitance to open up to me completely, mm -hmm. but by the time they saw some of the footage that I had, had worked on just in forms of trailers or whatever, they yeah. started giving me more of their, pictures and film jimmy panko had three hours of eight millimeter wow. and video from the 70s as well as thousands of pictures and he gave those to me september 2014 and i just got a bunch of pictures from walt and i just got thousands of pictures from this one woman named kathy new who had taken pictures in the 70s and 80s and they're all pictures I'd never seen before. And luckily with the Hall of Fame that just happened, I had to go back and re-edit the end of the movie. Right. And so I was also able to put all these old pictures in throughout. So you haven't even seen, there's pictures from the 80s and the early 80s. You know, you, you probably remember in the documentary in the late 70s, early 80s, there's not a lot of archival footage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a dazed time, I think. <laughs> but <laughs> there's a lot now because this woman took thousands of pictures wow. and now it's like it feels complete to me and I'm really happy with the final product now that I've got all this footage and pictures how nervous were you the first time you showed uh the core members which would be Robert Lamb Walt Parazader James Pankow and Lee I always have trouble saying his last name Lee Lochnane Lochnane uh when you have to sit down and show those four guys did you sit in a room with them to show them or did you just thank god i didn't they they got a dvd and they watched it on their own time i'm an anxious person by nature mm -hmm. um so i was shaking in my boots mm -hmm. before i showed it because you know you spend two years of your time on this and yeah. no one else has seen it besides your girlfriend right. and you know she's, and she's so, sick of seeing it well she's I'm she's kidding. sick of she's <laughs> sick of hearing about it right and but she was very supportive you know it was mm -hmm. always like it's great people are gonna love it and i'm like but you're just saying that she's like no i'm not and so i showed it to lee first okay and lee thought it was great and his only complaint which was actually a positive in my mind he's mm -hmm. like oh, it's really personal and yeah. I was like, because Lee in this Lee is the uh, is the most emotional, I think. In absolutely, the and it, it helps the movie. It does. And when I was watching it, I'm like, I even told you this. Uh, I said, I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, oh, man, that Lee is me. That's how I would be yeah. if I had to talk about these things. Yeah. yeah. No, he was, and he, you know, he his only fear was that it was an it was a personal thing. It was like, oh, it's so personal, and I'm like, yes, but that is. That's the reason people are going to watch yes. this. Yeah. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of guys talking about how great they are. And it's mm -hmm. that's not what this movie is at all. No. So we decided that we were going to finish it. And I was fortunate enough as a first-time filmmaker that none of the other mm -hmm. members of the band, the other eight, 
I saw the movie until it was finished, like color corrected and sound mixed. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I'm just, again, very fortunate. And they all liked it. So who had the most notes? Uh, I don't, they don't, none none of them had notes. notes. Um, the, yeah, the members of these guys that are in Chicago, they, they don't come, they don't, they don't come across as cocky. They don't puff their chests up and say, we're the best. They're, They're just like, they seem so grateful. Uh, they can't believe that they've had this longevity. Um, and they're very humble at times. I mean, Walt Parasader comes across very humble to me and very, he seems very down to earth, very family oriented, very totally is. Yeah. The, uh, the thing that was, uh, the thing that was, I think maybe Robert said it. He said, you know, when, when we're finally done, when we're finally retire, we probably won't see each other anymore. And I was like, wow, that's weird. But yeah, probably not. Yeah. Because why, there's not, where, where would you see each other? That was the first round of interviews. And the night before the interviews, I was on the bus with, um, with Keith and all them. And mm-hmm. I was talking to Keith. Um, and my crew was out on the road too. And they were driving a van separately. Mm-hmm. And I was on the bus. And I was just trying to think of, you know, what are the questions I'm going to ask tomorrow? And I just mentioned to Keith, I was like, you know, it's, it's so weird. Like, you guys have come into this band and, You've been here for twenty plus years, yeah. and but it's still not quite yours in, yeah. in that way. Like these guys started when you were two, yeah. <laughs> you know. And so I said, "What is that weird thing? Like you know, whether it's a divorce or whether it's, um, I just think about it in my life. Like a friend I had in grade school, they switched schools. You never see that person again, right? So it's like, what's that like when you're in a band together, like?" are you ever going to see each other again? And I was like, man, that's such a difficult question. You don't want to be, you know, yeah. rude about asking it and right. making it seem like you're trying to get him to cry. Right. But, <clears throat> but these are the questions you have to ask. Yeah. And so I asked them all the same question and they all answered so differently. That's cool. And it was like, this is why they work is they're all different and they all work and form this one group. Right. Yeah. It's, it's weird too. Like when, when, when they finally call an end to it, the, the core original members are going to be, you know, you know, up there in age, but, uh, Keith and, and Jason and, and Lou and some, but like, they won't go out and tour as uh chef and Howlin and the music of Chicago. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. I mean, yeah. they could, but I mean, without those, without those three horn players, which is really the, the heart and soul of, of the Chicago sound, those three guys, I mean, I'm sure I just said something that a million people have said a million times in everything that's <laughs> ever written, true. but it's true. But when, I don't think they're going to stop. I don't think they're going to stop until they're they not can't stop. They're not going to stop. The end of the movie, the last line, you know, about you know, yeah, Picasso dying at ninety six, yeah, painting, you know, it's just yeah. I mean, and the, when those horns kick in 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 concert, it is just like you're just like because first of all, Jimmy Panko, I don't I don't even know how a trombone works. <laughs> I don't either. On paper, it seems like it's the easiest instrument because there's no Just keys. There's no shoulder. yeah, and there's no keys. There's no there's not eighty eight keys, and there's no strings, and it's just like oh, you just blow. Like I'm like I'm an idiot. I'm like it's like big slide whistle, <laughs> but really it that is the hard so hard because it's all feel right. He knows well if I pull it out this far, that's whatever note it is. You said you had to learn it by rote and just know where where it is on the scale. I of- mean, literally when he's playing that, that's like. Uh, a, 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 an appendage, a part of his body. Yeah, it's like it's a, so a crazy. Sport. You play golf, you're, you know, you know, muscle memory. 
Yeah, it's just it's insane. It is, but like I think of the trumpet, and I'm like, well, he just knows, you know, he knows the notes and the keys, and the, but the trombone is really. Is there another? Is there another band that has a trombone? Not that I can think of that isn't no. like a jazz band. Yeah, you know what I mean. Not a rock band. You know, yeah. and the thing they the rock band with horns, the whole moniker or mm-hmm. whatever. Blood, Sweat, and Tears gets a lot of the credit for being the first, but it was really Chicago that was mm-hmm. the first because Jim Gersio was producer. That's the, the pro- producer of the first Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And how many uh, how many albums did you know, Jim Gersio produce for Chicago? Eleven. There was eleven releases, but he had nine. Uh, nine of them were original music. One was Studio. a live album at mm-hmm. Carnegie Hall, and the other was uh, Greatest Hits. Possibly the best Greatest Hits, singular best Greatest Hits album of all time. It has to be. I mean, you look at the the lineup. It's and they didn't pick four. I don't think it was twenty songs. No, I, I think, think it's it was, ten. Yeah, maybe eleven. But yeah, it's that. That makes me think. That's that is really the. Um, Despite the fact that they had three double albums to, to to start, right, their economy is really what makes them Chicago. I think that they, every choice they made on the first albums, whether it was a strange choice or um, an orchestrated choice, like right. everything made sense and it was right for the song. Nothing seemed bloated or too much. No, I, I totally agree with you. Uh, yeah, and that's the, and in the cover of the Chicago Greatest Hits album. Is one of my favorite covers too. Mm-hmm. If you don't know it, it's it's um, it's them on a, a painter's scaffolding, and they're painting the logo on a wall, and the scaffolding starts to tip, and they're all kind of like falling off of it. And uh, I was lucky enough uh, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I had um, uh, Jimmy and Lee and Robert all signed, and I had Danny signed from a couple years well, that's ago. That's cool. Yeah, so I have four of those guys. And was La Deer, was he in the building that night? Oh, uh, yeah, he was, I think he was like in one of the booths and so was Donnie Dacus. I know, but La Deer's on that cover. If I would have yeah. known, I would have tried to find him. Yeah. He, Damn you, he was Deer. within the confines of the, the main floor, I yes. think. but he was there actually at the rehearsal the day before and I met him finally. He was, that was an interesting thing because we tried to get everybody in the movie and he isn't from and lives in Brazil. And so he added me on Facebook and I was like, would you like to be in the documentary? And I, th- I think he said that we should come to Brazil. And I was like, sure. Why not? <laughs> you know, can you spot us a hundred grand yeah. <laughs> to fly us out there and get through customs and blah, 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 blah. But no, I, that album cover was shot in Danny Seraphin's house. Isn't oh, that, that's interesting. Yeah. Isn't that weird? That is weird. And, uh, as From Lee, what I understand, I could be wrong, but I think that this is the story I've heard. When Lee, uh, trumpet player, uh, backing vocals, claves, <laughs> when Lee signed my album, he goes, he goes man, I was, uh, man, man, I was drunk. And I thought he meant tonight when he was signing. I go, no. I go well, Lee, tonight's your night. Tonight's an okay night to have some cocktails. He goes, not tonight. He goes, in this picture. He goes, I was loaded when we took this. He goes, they wouldn't let me drive home. They took my keys. I go, well. Wow. I go, they're your brothers. You better be happy that they took your keys. Yeah, he's, uh, that's another thing about the band is they've been, they're clean, like, for a long time. Yeah. And I think that's another, you know, you have to. You have to be. You have to be. You know, it's it's okay in the early days, but once, if you want to last, they yeah. are genuine. Everyone asked me, all my friends, like, is it a party out there on the road? I'm like. At the merch? At the merch station? At the merch? Yeah. We're, <laughs> showing, we're moving shirts. No, but it was. It was a blast, but it wasn't like 
the party that they're talking about. No. Like you can't have a party if you're going to do 200 days a year. Yeah, even even Keith and Jason, they can't be party. They're they're in their 40s. They can't be partying it up. Well, and you just you have to be focused on yeah. maintaining your health while you're singing every yes. night. <laughs> so. Um, let me ask you, I'm going to ask you a merch I'm going to ask you a merch question. You're on the road with Chicago for 2 years. What if what if uh, Peter Pardini wants a t-shirt? Can you just go grab one and put it on? I never did that. I'm sure I could have, but I think they might have given me and my crew all a shirt at one time when I was took them all out. They all probably right. handed us all the new tour shirts. Just want to make sure you get a shirt. I've never actually. I've never. I'm. I really. You know. I've never asked for that stuff because I never wanted it to be like. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm trying to get stuff. Get out stuff of this. from you. Yeah. Right. Other than just the work. Let's um. Let's jump into some music. But before we do, let's. I'm going to start out. I'm just going to because. I know about Chicago. You know about Chicago. There might be some listeners that don't know. So I'm just going to run down uh, the original members of Chicago. Mm -hmm. We got uh, Terry Kath, lead guitar. We got Robert Lamb, piano, vocals. Terry also on vocals. More vocals than you would even imagine, which we'll talk about. Peter Cetera, bass and lead vocals. Walt Parazader, saxophone, um, flute on on a song or two. Uh, Lee, Clarence, yep. Lee on trumpet and uh, James Panko on uh, trombone, uh, cowbell, brass <laughs> arrangements. Panko is the one that writes the charts and arranges all the horns, correct? Uh, not all the horns. Robert Robert actually arranged most of the horns for the songs he wrote. Robert Lamb did. Yeah, for the songs that Robert wrote. All yeah, right, look at that overachiever. Um, <laughs> and original drummer Danny Seraphin. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in some of the in 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 the documentary, you show like a couple black and white. Uh, band photos and in those photos Peter Cetera is not in those photos yeah for the first I think it was three to six months maybe mm-hmm. six months uh, of the group mm-hmm. um, when they were the big thing Peter Cetera was not that was in, the name they were called the big thing yeah they okay. were called the big thing and Peter Cetera was not in that lineup and then they needed a bass player because Robert at the time was playing keyboards and bass pedals um, yeah that's too much it's too much you know and they you know if you want to, you got three horn players. You can get a bass player. Yeah, so why not? They heard Peter Cetera playing with the exceptions, mm-hmm. um, and Lee would tell me that those guys, like when they would play together, it's like, oh, they sound just like the covers that they're playing. Like they're, you know, and that singer's great, and that bass player's great. So they went and talked to him and asked if he'd join their band, and he he heard them and liked them and joined. Mm-hmm. And also, early Chicago, when you see photos of the, of the band once they were Chicago, this is this is a ragtag bunch of bearded hippies they're just they're just they're buddies just, they're just dudes yeah they were just friends uh many of them could be dressed very similar to what you have on right now just just like a flannel over a t-shirt and bearded i like to say that they were they dressed like hipsters before there was such a thing yeah. as hipsters it's and like, um, that's what hipsters emulate now peter satara kind of a heavier husky guy Sort of, yeah. He was, I think he's... Yeah, he I lost, think. I think what it was, he lost weight in the 80s, mm-hmm. but he was always just kind of like normal body type. Right, but before he became like a, a, a matinee idol type <laughs> looking, you know, yeah. guy, he was just a, just a dude. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily, he wouldn't turn any heads. No. But, um, but I like that because they were just like, they were all about the music. Obviously not about image, just about sound. Absolutely. That's why they're not... They're only on one. They're on the pictures are only on the f- cover of Hot Streets. Yeah, and then I think at the top of Chicago Six, there's the there's the, yeah yeah the there's blue a little one, yeah a there's little a picture one, of them. which is kind of interesting that yeah. that was the only one that is interesting. 
Okay, so let's hit it. The first album is called Chicago Transit Authority. Yes. CTA. It's a very weird album cover, too, because it's all black, and then it's just got this little little logo, like really little, right in the middle. Yeah. And then later, on later issues, it's... It's, it's almost like a, a, a coordinated thing. I think Jim Garcia yeah. had a lot to do with those early designs uh-huh. in terms of how they were represented. And who do you know who uh, created that logo? Oh, I don't know the name. I've I I've read the name several times, but I don't know it off the top of my head. One of the most iconic logos of all time. Absolutely. Put it there with ACDC and Kiss, Cheap Coke. Trick, Coca Cola. Yeah. Yes, I mean it is really. You see that, and you don't. You don't go, hey, the the city of Chicago. No, you go the band Chicago. Well, it's funny that you say that because people over. 30 say that, but mm-hmm. people under 30, I, I'll wear a Chicago shirt every once in a while and I'll get in the mall. Some, someone will go, Oh, I'm from there. That's the, that's the city's logo. And do you go, you're from the fucking band Chicago, yeah, they, you piece of shit. They think, I think people actually have seen it so much uh-huh. that they think it's the city's logo. I think that Chicago, the, next, the city has a logo. The next time you just say, Oh fuck really? You. What? In, yeah. Fuck you. What <laughs> instrument do you play then? You're from here. Get the fuck out of my say, Go give me an orange Julius. you, sir. <laughs> so I'm going to let you go first. What song did you bring from, and maybe you brought more than one. This is 1969 Chicago Transit Authority. I think the first song's Beginnings. Is that what you brought? Mm-hmm. Yep, sure is. Well, that's what I brought. Oh. That's okay. That means it's a great song. such a uh, that's such a great tune yeah. Kai will you play um, play my beginnings also because I jumped in at a little different spot let's see where I jumped in it got some horns there yeah, so let the beginning of what I want to feel forever some great drumming there too So this uh, this Chicago Transit Authority uh, possibly has one of the the greatest side ones of all time. It's only got three songs, but it's got introduction, and you might not know that by the title. But if we played it, you'd go, "I know that." Yeah. And then, uh, does anybody really know what time it is? And then beginnings, and that is just that's so solid. And uh, time and beginnings were not singles; were not hits Mm-mm. the first time around. No. They were only hits after the second album was released and they became very popular mm-hmm. and then beginnings and time were released again and actually right. charted 
after the second album came out. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest covers is also on this uh, album, um, their version of I'm a Man, which is a Steve Winwood, Jimmy Miller song. I love this album too because I love I love Robert Lamb and I love Terry Kath's vocals. Those those two guys are probably my favorite vocalists mm-hmm. in Chicago. Oh yeah, I mean just the kind of not baritone but just that mm-hmm. lower register that they both brought. And until I met uh, Jimmy Pardo when we started to talk about music and stuff, I did not know I did not know that Terry Kath sang. I thought whenever Terry was singing, I also thought that was Robert. They had very similar voices. Yeah, but yeah, Terry. He just was guttural. Yeah. Just, and just natural, kind mm-hmm. of like a, just a, like a white Ray Charles almost. Right. Just, it's amazing that he could do all that stuff simultaneously. I know. It's crazy. Yeah. And, and just play the, play, he would play like a lead and rhythm all at the same time. It was so, and sing. I'm so jealous of anybody who got to see him play. If I'm tying my shoes, no one can talk to me because I can't <laughs> do both. Um, I also can't walk in time my shoes. Very dangerous. <laughs> Do not try that. But uh, Chicago Transit Authority is uh, the first of how many double albums in a row? Three. That's that's insane. No one does that. I guess you could even say four if you count Carnegie Hall because I think that was that's four like, or something. I don't. That's like twenty albums. I think uh, Carnegie Hall is like twenty discs. <laughs> they just were all so prolific. I mean, yeah. you know, when you have that much material in your head as a young. Mm-hmm. St- you know, hungry musician. I think yeah. that they just had this thing of like, let's just do all of it. Right. Cause the Beatles, you know, at the time, right before that the crazy thing is the Beatles were around. They were releasing their last album. Yes. Chicago started, which is kind of a weird, that is weird. overlapping time thing. But, and the first album was a big success. 2 million copies, double platinum. Yeah. After the fact. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you're saying initially it didn't sell too many, but yeah, no, overall as, as time yeah. go on too. Yeah. So then the second album, it's not called Chicago 2. It's just, just Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. Why did they drop the Transit Authority? Uh, because the real Chicago Transit Authority, I think, threatened suit. And so... Well, you know what? Good. I'm glad they did. Because people Chicago. saw those shirts and were like, hey, I take a train there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what on Pardo's podcast, uh, Matt Wait said. a minute. Pardo has a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> the fuck is that? What's I'm, that called? Uh, never Not Funny. You're going to have to check that out. <laughs> he, um, Matt said on it, he says... Did the real Chicago Transit Authority think that someone was going to show up to a Chicago show and be like, oh, I thought this was a fucking train station. Yeah, this is ridiculous. Um, so Chicago 2, I think in my iTunes, though, I call it Chicago 2. Yeah. But, uh, I think a lot of people do because the first one gets labeled as Chicago 1, you know. Look, in your iTunes, you can call the albums. I can call my album Poo Poo Kitty if I want. I can call yeah. it anything I want. Absolutely. Well, you should. Can I factor that into the documentary? I ca- sure. I call hot streets. I call that hot shit. That's what I call hot streets. <laughs> hot licks. Uh, hot licks. Um, so let's go on to uh, Chicago. It's mm-hmm. the second album, but it's called Chicago. And uh, you got a song for us from that? What do you got for us? Um, I actually, the songs I picked were in order of just, I didn't go album by album. I picked just chronologically. Mm-hmm. But um, I did pick from Chicago too, but I don't know which one it is. Okay. I'm looking. Uh, yeah, number moving in right there. O three. Oh, good. Written by James Pankow. Mm-hmm. Sung by Terry Kath. Oh yeah. We know it's hard for you to see.
I love I like that song too and uh, this also has the probably the quintessential Chicago song but we're not even going to name it we're going to use that as our play out today uh, James Pankow uh, trombone player easy instrument um, <laughs> he's one of my favorite songwriters in Chicago his early songs with this band are really really ones I really like and I guess I think a lot of people see a band and you see you know People in the you know you 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 think the singer is always writes everything yeah the singer writes all the lyrics he's on but with this band no yeah no they, they all write songs and they all write hit songs they kind of feed off each other mm-hmm. you know Jimmy obviously and Robert and Terry wrote at the very beginning but yeah. you know Lee eventually wrote a song yeah that was a huge hit, hit. I think um, it's on my list later yeah good yeah we won't play that one on mine okay but uh, no you know Jimmy always explains it as he never thought that his voice was right for any of the songs. Hey, so, I wasn't right. I couldn't sing those songs. But he has, he did sing a couple yeah, of songs. Yeah, but then I tried. Yeah, I tried. <laughs> Buddy, I tried. But he, uh, you know, it, ballet for a girl in Buchanan, the whole 13 minute mm-hmm. suite with Make Me Smile and Color My World. It's like, where does that come from? I know. You know, it's, yeah. And I'm going to play the single version of Make Me Smile Great. from Chicago. Also Chicago too. Look at that. Children play in the park. They don't know I'm alone in the dark. Even though time and time again I see your face smiling inside. I'm so I have, uh, Peter, you don't know this. Everyone else knows this. I have two daughters, 15 and 11. And if I'm playing Chicago's The Greatest Hits CD, if I have that in the car, um, that they do not say, uh, oh, can we put something else on? They it's just, crazy, they just sit there. They, you know, they just, they don't say, I love this, but they don't say, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's this just is like, all right. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, in, they're, they're into it. They, 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 they you know. It's it's only when they go, oh, what is this? Turn this off. Yeah. No, Chicago doesn't ever do that to people. It doesn't seem... People no. have an impression of what Chicago is if they've never heard any of, or don't know they've heard the music. Yeah. They think it's just the ballad band, which I hate. Yeah, they just think it's... I hate that when I see I soft rockers Chicago get into... I say, go fuck yourself. I know. <laughs> That's awful. Those are the same people that think your t-shirt's about the city. Yeah, no, I know. It's... <laughs> Now we're now we're gonna go. Now we are actually on an album called Chicago Three. Mm-hmm. I really like that they do that too. I, I, it's like that's one less thing to think about. Yeah, you don't think of a title. No, just the third album, three. Just make it about the music. Yeah, exactly. Was that was that what they thought? I don't. I don't think any of them have an answer. I, I've asked, and it doesn't seem. It's just always kind of just like, nah, yeah, it's, it's just what we did. <laughs> you know, I don't think they just know. Think. I, I think it just started and they just continued doing it because and you would only find the the name of the album on the spine it was never on the front mm-hmm. it just just these iconic album covers that just had the word chicago yeah 
Who was the art? Do you know who was the art designer on these? Out were the first albums all done by the same person? Uh, well, I I don't know. Again, mm-hmm. I don't know. I didn't look into that stuff for. That's okay. Yeah. I, look, I, I, look, to be honest, I'm, I'm look, not going to try to make up an answer. When I ask these questions of Peter, I, he's he's not proclaiming to be the number one source of everything Chicago, right? No, I'm pers- personally... Who engineered this album? Uh, Roy Halley. Oh, 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 the first oh there album we go. Okay. Um, Phil Ramone engineered a lot of the early albums. Now, um, Roy Halley, he's, he co-produced all the uh, Simon and Garfunkel albums. Yeah, he's, well... That's the thing is they were Chicago Transit Authority was mm-hmm. being recorded at the same exact time that Simon and Garfunkel were recording their album. But Bridge Over Twa- Trouble Probably Water. Probably that Twubble, one. Twubble, Twubble Water. Twubble Water. <laughs> Which is how I that say it. That was the original title. Yeah, Twubble Water. <laughs> Just Bugs Bunny reference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they, um, or Elmer Fudd, but they had, they were doing the night session and during the day with Simon and Garfunkel in the same studio. So, little tidbit. Simon and Garfunkel got the daytime slot. Yeah. <laughs> and Chicago is... Chicago, nobody. you get 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. to come in and lay your horns down. I know those are easy instruments to play, so let's just get this done. <laughs> a running gag. Um, Chicago 3, what do you got for us from Chicago 3? I don't have a song from Chicago 3, so but I do. yours. I have one. I have one, certainly. Uh, Kyle hit us with a little bit of something called uh, Free. Which is part of something called the Travel Suite. You like Terry Gaff a lot, his vocals. It's yeah. just, I like that song, and it's just yeah. like, yeah, it just happens to coincide with a song I like, and oh my God, he sings it too. Now, Chicago 3 is one that isn't, isn't chock full of songs that the, um, the average person would know. I think maybe that's the only one that you would know on Chicago 3. Yeah, and there are a lot of really good songs on it, mm-hmm. um, but it's, from what I understand, is that they were very tired from traveling so much. And these were just like about that experience of like traveling. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff about happy cause I'm going home on there. Yeah. There's um, one of my favorite songs on is low down, um, which is a great song, but yeah, no, it was a very experimental for a album to come mm-hmm. straight after two mega hits. So that's kind of another thing about them is that they always kind of listened to their own muse and didn't yeah. try to do something based off of, you know, at least in the first 10 years, didn't try to yeah. do something based off what they did before. Yeah. Or, or it, and it didn't seem like they were like, we need a hit. We got to get a song on the radio. We got to write a hit song. Cause I, I think, think everybody you, else was telling them that. Yeah. yeah. And they were like, let's just do what we do. Yeah. Uh, again, this is still produced by James Gersio. I think in the documentary, it says that the deal they signed didn't Gersio got 51%. And then the band, the, all the band, the seven other members, well, we got all of it at first, the publishing, yeah. oh, but God, that was just because you know, and Danny admits it in the movie is that it wasn't anybody's fault but their own for not reading the contracts. That's but everyone's deal. He kind of cut a, That's what he kind of cut of clued him in and yeah. told him, "Hey, this publishing," but he didn't. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, what, 51% for him and 49% split seven ways. That's funny that uh, Danny Serafin seems like the guy that would, you know, would cause the trouble. Be like, hey, guys, look at this. You got to look at this. Danny, just forget it. No, no, look at this. Yeah. We're getting screwed. Yeah. I <laughs> and think, he's right. He's yeah, right. I think that that's, that ended up ultimately being his downfall, too, is just the... He was too worried about where the money was well, going. It was, it was everything. It was just always this, this, this. Look at this. Look at this. What, what about this? What about this? And it's at a certain point, it's just like, yeah. are we musicians? Now, when we say the downfall, the Danny Seraphim plays on almost every single studio album. Yeah. You know what I mean? Every hit, yeah. Every hit, yeah. But, um, yeah, someone's got to look where the money goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next album is uh, Chicago Carnegie Hall. I don't have anything from that. I stuck with the studio albums. I did, too. So we, we jumped to... Chicago Five. Uh, now that you've gone, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, is that the song? Yeah. Well, you, you like Terry Kath too. Yep. Written by James Pankow. Mm-hmm. This is the album where Satara is starting to sing more lead than he had on the previous uh, three albums, four albums. He's got the, he's uh, lead on, he's co-lead or lead on five of the ten tracks on this album. Yeah. So he's starting to to assert himself more, probably. Yeah, you know, he's getting more confident. Com- more confident. Satara, in my opinion, is in terms of just the pop- worst. <laughs> no, <laughs> in terms of pop vocalists. Tenor voices. Yes. Top three ever. Yeah. Him, Freddie Mercury, and Steve Perry are yeah. my three. Um, and, you know, he is a good songwriter. And yeah, he yeah, yeah. started to, I think on Chicago 2, he had, uh, or Chicago, he had um, Where Do We Go From Here, which I almost used mm-hmm. as the last song of the movie. But I felt using a Terry Kath vocal would have been better just in terms yeah. of the theme and just... Yeah, the moving forward. I have. Uh, I am harboring uh, ill will towards Peter Cetera because of the events of 2016. <laughs> I think a lot of people are. <laughs> so any anything I say about him on the show is really because of that. Doesn't mean that I don't like his songs with Chicago. Not a fan of that. His solo stuff. Not really at all. I haven't really listened yeah. to it to be honest. Um, my song from this album, uh, when Journey goes on tour, they say uh, they go. We got to play the Dirty Dozen. And then they augment that with songs they want to play. So I would say I'm going to call this. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to coin a phrase here. Uh, when we're talking about Chicago, if you if there was such a thing as a, a filthy five, <laughs> this would be one of the filthy five. Alliteration doesn't mean they're dirty, uh, but this is one of the uh, top. If you ask someone to name five Chicago songs, this is one they would name.
I've never heard that song. Oh, it's a good one. It's a good one. Uh, the city of Chicago plays that. Um, I had the pleasure of seeing Chicago perform uh, three songs live last week. I cannot tell you uh, yet why or where I was. Peter and Kyle know. But the thing I noticed about Robert Lamb from the time he walked in the room, that guy has the best posture of anyone I've ever seen. He stands up straight back is out shoulders back and i'm a guy that slumps a lot i'm slumping right now just for the fact of how we're and kyle you slump you you would yeah. be a, you would be another five inches taller if you stood up straight yeah probably but uh he's like his best posture i've ever seen yeah he's carries he's, himself like a gentleman absolutely coolest coolest uh real life person i've ever met yeah like, and he uh still great looking at uh, in his 70s yeah full head of hair i don't get it looks fabulous i don't understand it <laughs> he must he must take care of himself he does I'll, we'll be on the road and he'll just go out and explore the city like we got off the bus in Tulsa once and we looked around and Robert was already walking, walking. down the street and it's like, with well, a book on his head yeah <laughs> <laughs> here's another thing about Chicago they can really go out and about I think yeah I, I don't think anyone would if, he, if, if Robert just had a pair of sunglasses on no one really, I mean, a fan would be like that's Robert Secretly, but, the greatest thing about their career yeah. is that they are make a successful, and everybody knows their music. Um, literally, I mean, if you've turned the radio on, you've heard a Chicago song. Yep. Now, if you're walking down the street with horns, <laughs> yeah. that might be a yeah. tip off. <laughs> Come on, guys. <laughs> um, I, I saw an interview once with uh, the guitar player, one of the guitar players and vocalists for uh, Doobie Brothers, Tom Johnston, mm -hmm. and he said, he said. I, I took my daughter to school and did, did I did everything, go grocery shopping. He goes, no one, no one ever, you know, even in a neighborhood, no one ever knew what I did. No. They didn't know I was in the Doobie Brothers. He goes, because we were a, we were like a faceless band until, until Michael McDonald came. Then I think Michael McDonald got a little front and center of that band. Yeah. Same deal. Yeah. Kind of like the Cetera in that band a little bit. A little bit. A little, a little bit. Seems like Michael bit. McDonald's been able to reconcile with the Doobie Brothers, yeah. though, and at least show up for things. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he'll pop up on stage with him and do a vocal on a record or whatever. Because he's, uh, had, he's had prolonged success after yeah. the Doobie Brothers. Yeah. Um, Chicago Five was their first single album. Yeah. Ten songs. Uh, we got Dialogue Part 1 and 2 are on there. Uh, you know that one. Maybe not by the title, but you know it. And now we'll move on to, uh, this is Chicago Six. This is one we were talking about that does have a band photo on the on the cover now the song i picked for chicago six is probably their funkiest song um that's the one yeah and uh it's got one of their songs that has three different vocalists on it i don't know if this section has it but it's uh it's it's a great song this what's this world coming to mm -hmm. right. written by panko there he is again
one of those songs That's where great. Yeah. they all were doing their own part so well. And I just love bands. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When you're, it's like, it's so cool. There's something so cool about three different singers on a song and no one has the front line. It's right. just, they're playing together. Yeah, and that's what—that's really what Chicago is. It's guys playing music together. I mean, I, I know that sounds weird to say because yeah. you think that's what all bands do. No, but these guys really are, are feeding off each other's energy. Even today, even with even with the four original members and all the augmented, you know, the newer members, if you want to call whatever you want to call them, they're still a tight band. Yeah, I saw them. Um, saw them at the Greek Theater a couple years ago when they. Uh, it was the night that um, Al Pacino came out. Yeah. And they, they did that thing for, what was the movie? Danny Collins. Danny Collins. And, uh, I still have that fucking song stuck in my head. (laughs) (laughs) The, um, they were so, they were so fucking tight that night. Mm -hmm. That was, that was one of the best times I've ever seen them. I was like, July, 2013. Yeah. I was with my, with my sister and Jimmy was, uh, Pardo was there with his mom and we were like texting and I was just like, they're, they're on fire tonight. He's like, this is unbelievable how great they are. I mean, they're always great, but there was something, they turned it up a notch, maybe because they knew they were going to be filming this thing or whatever, the, whatever the, or the Greek theater is just an amazing venue, one of the most amazing venues in the country. I don't know what it was, but that night they were really great. I think like, bands do that where they, they don't play up, but they play more... It's a more more of a focus, maybe when mm-hmm. you're in a bigger city. Maybe they've never said as much, but that's no, my yeah. my guess. Maybe not. I'm not saying they go out and just uh, walk through it. They that's walk. not what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, they uh, they were just really really great that night. Um, there's another great James Panko song on this album uh, called. Uh, well, he's two, there's two other ones that he's written or co-written on this album. I have them both, but let's hear uh, just you and me. He tells the story of this one in the documentary. This is a great Peter Cetera vocal. Absolutely. You are my inspiration. Just you and me. Simple and free. Baby, you're everything I've ever dreamed of. Yeah, yeah. Give me your own special smile. Kyle, go right into feeling stronger every day. That one's not in the set list anymore. Did I feeling stronger? That first part. They go into the faster version, which I brought, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it uh, it really gets the crowd going right before the encore, and it goes yeah, right here. Yeah, 
Yeah, they they cut the first part out because they usually play getaway. Yes. And then they go into right into that fast uh, dr- fast drum part from uh, feeling stronger to kind of keep the rhythm going, I guess. Yeah, that's a great. Chicago Six is a great album. That's got super, really strong, super, super strong songs on that super one. Super strong, man. Yeah, that's so great. Um, and they, they're releasing like an album a year at this point. I mean, it's crazy the output and how how great the music is. Yeah, number one selling band of the 1970s. And I mean, it's just well, now you're just talking crazy. Yeah, <laughs> well, people <laughs> people don't believe that, but it's partially because of you know 11 albums come out, but. Of every single band, number one. Yeah. On the Billboard charts, yep. Now, the next one is uh, Chicago 8. This is the one I don't I don't. Or 7. Did we get 7? No, or? we just did 7. No, that was 6. Was that 6, Connor? Yeah, yeah we didn't do 7 yet. Well, what the heck's going on? You Come have on. 3 from 7. I had 3 from 7. Damn it. But wait a minute. So we just did 6. Yeah. yeah. I can't even count is what we're learning today. Okay, I'm sorry. You we got are- thrown off by Carnegie Hall. Now this is a, we're back to double albums again. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like you think you'd get the double album out of your system, and you go, you know what? We're concentrating on just ten songs now. But now they're like, no, we just got a lot of music. Let's record it. I think they were kind of fighting the whole commercial success of you know singles and trying to do, you know, again trying to feel out with Terry Kath. You know, he yeah. really wanted to stretch out, and they just did a whole. Pretty much a mostly instrumental album. So what's interesting about Chicago 7 is that it is a double album and there are a ton of just jazz instrumentals. Yeah. And then there's these singles that are great yeah. with the Beach Boys and Wishing You Were Here. And it's uh, it's great. The song I picked um, is another kind of deep cut with another really interesting horn line that reminds me of like old, kind of like almost ragtimey mm-hmm. the way it sounds, but it's called Lifesaver. Let's hear it. I think Jimmy wrote that too. Correct. That's the first lyrics on the entire album. It is the uh, now that and that was a lamb song. Actually. Oh, it was okay. Yeah, only because I'm reading it. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is ballsy. The first first uh, first side of uh, of out disc one is all instrumental, and then the first two so- songs on side two are also on CD. The first five songs are all instrumental, and, and they're long too. That yeah yeah you're right. There's a six minute, a ten minute. I mean that's. That's kind of ballsy. Yeah, I don't even think they thought of it as ballsy. They didn't. They just, just like, said, "This yeah, is fun. This is how the sequence should be. This is yeah. how it flows the best." Mm-hmm. And um, but then the sing- Then we talked earlier about Lee finally got to was writing. So he he has a great song in here. It's uh, written by Lee and sang by Peter Cetera. And this song is called "Call on Me." Ooh. Oops. Went too far. Thank you. 
La Deer on the Congos. Good song, Lee. Yeah, that was about his, you know, the experience of being on the road forever and mm-hmm. going home and you don't know your wife and you don't know each other. And it's kind of a his breakup song. Yeah. Interesting how... It, the thing that I found most interesting making the movie is that these songs all, whether they knew it or not, like that's an example of them knowing it, but you could find lyrics from the songs during that time of their career mm-hmm. that would tell the story of that part of their career. Um Word for word, like yeah. be saying, telling the story, and that's the thing I want people to watch for in the documentary is to listen to the lyrics during the movie. Is it's always telling the story, which is incredible that they had the kind of just accidentally did it. Maybe yeah. I don't know. Now you talked about uh, Lee's. This is kind of a, a Lee breakup song because uh, that's going on in his life. But uh, Walt Parasader married to his wife for about fifty years now, longer than the band. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's amazing. He seems like a family guy to me. He really does seem... Totally. He totally is. I mean, he's, you know, like I, like you said, been with her for 50 yeah. years almost, or 50 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, all his kids were at the Hall of Fame yep. induction. And and we know that it was $10,000 each to get the kids there, So um, <laughs> according to Steve Miller. so uh, I don't know if it was that much. I don't know if Steve Miller was... <laughs> he, uh, you know... Steve Miller looked like he had a great time there, so mm-hmm. and he played great. So yeah. I don't know, but I don't know, that's, I don't know if that was Chicago's experience. Seems mm-hmm. like they had a little bit better of time, time of it. <laughs> um, again, I got to observe the band last week. I cannot tell you why, yet. <laughs> but these guys were so nice to everyone they came in contact with, and they. I got to watch the horns just backstage, warming up and. Like I, I like um, Lee said, guys, come on. He was like, guys, motioning to Walt and James, and then he said, he called out some piece of music. I don't know what it was. He could have said, uh, guys, let's uh, Ladybug, and then they all and they did whatever Ladybug. It, I'm making that up, but yeah. it was just really cool that they. It was really cool to see little things like this. I was very impressed. It's like an, a wire, electrical wire current running through all of them that only yeah, yeah, they yeah. can conduct. Yeah. It was really, it was, uh, yeah, it was so cool. So um, there's great, there's other great songs on here. I've Been Searching So Long, also written by Pankow, and uh, Wishing You Were Here is a great tune. And there's even a uh, song Robert Lamb released on his solo album called Skinny Boy yep. that they added horns to. Um, for this album. Mm-hmm. So it was hornless on Skinny Boy. And horns on this album. Yeah. Well, it can't be on Chicago album without horns. And the Pointer Sisters sang on that song. What? Yeah. Ruth and June? Mm-hmm. And that other one? The other one, yeah. <laughs> Ruth, June, and the other one. <laughs> do you have anything else from this album? Uh, let me see. I do, but I'm... Uh, we, yeah, we can move on. We can, move, we can on. move on. I had Happy Man and Satara's first like real solo song yeah. that uh, I really like. Maybe even more than If You Leave Me Now. Oh, look at that. Mm. Maybe we should hear that. What's that? In which one? Happy Man. Right, let's hear it a little bit. Very unsuspecting, you cut my heart and protecting me. I love the bridge in this song. Now I've fallen in love with you. Just when Soft 
and this is in the documentary, they started to record these albums at uh, Jimmy Garcia's ranch mm-hmm. called the Caribou. Caribou Ranch. Caribou Ranch, and that was in Colorado. Yeah, near Arveda. And- yeah. And they would go out there, and they were pretty much uh, a city unto themselves out there. They could pretty much do whatever they wanted. There was no one... Crazy. Yeah, there was no one looking in. They could, you know, I don't, you know, party, whatever they wanted to do. Listen, I, I don't do drugs. I don't, I'm not a party animal, but I can... Have you ever done drugs? Uh, I have. I've smoked weed. Yeah, I'm but, cl- my temple's clean, like Pardo would say. But I'm not... I've never smoked... I've never done any drugs. Yeah, I've smoked weed three times, and that's the extent of my drug use. So. I wake up and crack a beer. I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, i got a cold right now. I am a severe the, alcoholic. Yeah, but, but I've never done drugs. No, I, you know, I... Saying that, if I was a millionaire living out in the middle of nowhere... In with, the 70s? In the 70s with seven of my best friends, yeah. I think I probably would have been trying a lot. Yeah. I can't so, imagine that one of these guys was like, I'm not doing it. Yeah. And everyone else was. Well, Danny Danny claims, I mean, it's not in the movie, but in his interview, he, and I believe it, he said that, you know, he couldn't handle a lot of the stuff they were doing in the early days. So mm-hmm. he was, you know, primarily just alcohol and mm-hmm. that type of stuff. But still was doing that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's no such thing as clean in no. these days. No, not at all. Now it's, um, you know, One Direction smokes weed and everyone's like, oh, One Direction's a drug, drug addict. Like, come on. Their Let's music sucks. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I was adding to that. Um, so this is Chicago 8. This is the one with the, uh, the Cardinal on the front. Mm-hmm. And this is the one that I don't, um, I don't listen to that much. But it's got one of my favorites on it, written by Pank Al mm-hmm. and sung by Satara. Yeah, and I knew that that would probably be the one you Yeah, played. yeah, because I don't really... I, I, I have this album, but I don't listen to it that much. But So let's, let's hear that, and then we'll get you to talk about it. But this is Old Days. Yeah. Howdy doody. Yeah, I love that song. I heard it actually the first time when I was uh, in early high school. Starsky and Hutch, the remake movie, came out, and Ben Stiller's listening to it oh, when he's running funny. on the beach. That's funny. What is that? Oh, it's Chicago, huh? And one I picked for this album is called Never Been in Love Before, and it's Keith Howland told me that it reminded him of a song that Robert Lamb might have written on Chicago 5. Now, this is weird because this song was written by Robert Lamb, but Peter sings it. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Robert want to sing a song he wrote, I wonder? Well, Robert, you know, he, he did that a couple times. He did it with 25 or 6 to mm-hmm. 4 because the way he hears it in his head mm-hmm. is the higher register. And he never tried to stretch his voice to where it wouldn't go, you know. Now Robert that, was smart. Yeah, he, now that says something because a lot of guys, if they wrote it, they would want to sing it. Yeah. And if he felt that it would be sung better by someone else and to just hand it over. Yeah. They used to have sing-offs. They would, they, mm-hmm. on Color My World is one specifically where they had a sing-off where Jimmy did not know who he wanted who to sing, sing it. it. And so they all went in there and he said, right, when Terry started singing it, oh, that's, mm-hmm. that's the voice. And in the same thing for a time, Robert um, wasn't sure if he should sing it or not. And they played a joke on Danny one time and had him going and sing and he's singing it and he looks up and sees them all laughing 
in the control booth. That's Poor in the Dan. special features, but there's a lot of stuff on the special features that are all stories like this. Um, How long of this is that special features section going to be? Hours. Are we going to do commentary on that, you and I? We should. <laughs> what, if we, what if that was a, the only reason you're on here is I want to do commentary. Uh, okay, let's play that song. Let's Never hear that song. Never been in love before. Wikipedia, when you go through the albums, they have they call they have a name for each of the cover designs. Like if we're starting at Chicago Transit Authority, they call that painted shingle, and then it's <laughs> silver bar, tattered flag, white tile, carved wood, engraved bill. I mean, it's a stair embossed leather. <laughs> there uh, should have been the name of the album. <laughs> and like for Chicago's greatest hits, painted billboard. <laughs> So Chicago 7, I'm sorry, Chicago 8, the one with the Cardinal in the front, that's when Ladier actually becomes a band member. He's not listed as just additional. Right. He's listed as being one of the band members. Yeah, I mean, he'd been there since 6, I think. Yeah, he wasn't on 5, so 6 on. Yeah. That must be cool when they when they go, Ladier, could you come in here for a second? You're in. You're in. You're a band member. And then he says, I quit. No. <laughs> Uh, so then Chicago 9 is greatest hits, 11 songs. Yeah. One of the best greatest hits packages you will ever pick up. Even ones we haven't even played. I know. Yeah. Which is crazy. And then uh, and then Chicago 10. I'm sh- let me see what they call this. I'm sure they call this a uh, chocolate bar. Chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate bar. Um, tasty. <laughs> tasty candy. Um, what do you got from this one? You got something from Chicago 10? I picked this song. I did not pick If You Leave Me Now because, you know, if you leave me now is a great song, but it's so in the consciousness of that the song from Chicago Ten for Chicago fans. My wife thinks that's the saddest song ever. If it comes up, uh, like uh, in in the kitchen, that's where I have my docking station and my iPod. Mm-hmm. That's basically the stereo in in our house. And if that song comes on, I just have to. And she's in. I have to fast forward. It's not a jump. happy song. No, People she, think it's a love song, but it's really about this guy who's like yeah. being left. Yeah. In my opinion, she doesn't like it at all but because it's too sad. I picked "You Are on My Mind," which is a Jimmy Panko song, and it's one of the only ones that he actually sings. Okay, cool. Let's hear Jimmy sing. One of the greatest uh, horn horn parts too, solos in my opinion.
I did not. Uh, I did not choose one from this album. I also have another one if I can. Then you cause... can because I did not choose one. Okay. Had great. I chosen one, I would say no, Peter. Fuck off, Peter. <laughs> but this one, I really um, scrapbook, um, which tells. It's one of those songs where you listen to it, and, and if you listen to it for the first time, you're not really understanding what the what he's saying. But if you look at the lyrics, it's the history of the group up until that point, and. I had heard it when I was making the documentary and I thought this is perfect for the midway point of the movie as being like the song to use right before everything changes for the band. And uh, it is used in the film. So that's nice. talking about the history, talking about, you know, six sets smoked on Saturdays, Barnaby's on state. And it's like everything that I had been documenting and I thought I'd, I'd never heard the lyrics to this song before. And it just happened to be the story of the group. Well, we should say that these guys, um, these guys all went to college together. Yeah, they, they all, uh, some of them went to DePaul. Mm -hmm. um, Robert actually went to school in Brooklyn um, and ended up in Chicago. Okay. They met separately, but yes, they all kind of met through the DePaul system. So they've known each other since they were teens. Some of them were in their teens, early 20s. Yeah, Danny started in a group at 19 years old, and he didn't go to college. Current manager is Peter... Chivarelli. Chivarelli. Uh, did he also... Was Demon Dogs in Chicago his business? Yes. Have you eaten a Demon Dog? I have not, because I don't... I, don't th I think it closed before I... Was it involved? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I did. Because when I lived in Chicago for six years, everyone's like, you never had a demon dog? Gotta have a demon dog. So yeah. I no, he's dog. he's de definitely quintessential, like, the city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, there's two things that he is completely into. It's the band Chicago, well, three things. Mm -hmm. The band Chicago, the city of Chicago, and Notre Dame football. <laughs> so well, Kyle's family is uh, hardcore Notre Dame football fans. Yeah. Um, and there's footage in your documentary of the Notre Dame marching band uh, playing some Chicago songs. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we actually, now that we've shortened the movie and added the mm -hmm. Hall of Fame in, I added that to the credits because it was, I felt like that was really the part that you're yeah. talking about is the band is walking into the concert hall. Yes. And they're all practicing Saturday in the park. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what better feeling must there be for Robert to go in and see a bunch of 18-year-olds playing something he wrote 45 years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's crazy. It kind of just shows the impact of the music. Uh, this uh, Peter Chivarelli, am I saying that mm -hmm. right? Uh, he seems like a hardcore, no-nonsense dude. Uh, what do you mean by no-nonsense? Um, like you're not going to fuck around with him. <laughs> Don't fuck around with Chicago. Don't, yeah. He is, you know, he, there is nobody who is more dedicated to their job than he is mm -hmm. because all he cares about is Chicago doing well mm -hmm. and being seen in a way that is, you know, accurate, obviously, yeah. but you know, he is all about 
just them and their career. Mm-hmm. And it's really, I can call him at almost any time of the day. And he'll call him right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> Why is this? What, it's uh, is this not a good time of day? You said no, any time of day. I'm not calling him right now. Give but him, give him a shout. Let's call. Him. But he, um, he's just a great manager, and he, you know, I have a lot to thank him for for mm-hmm. making the movie because, you know, being able to stick behind me and say, you know, that I'm okay doing what I'm doing. Yeah. To finish it, because like you said at the outset, it's a d- daunting task making a documentary, especially when you yep. don't know when it's over. True. And with Chicago, you could you it it, it, it could never be over because you could keep filming if yeah. you wanted to. But I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is that is a great place to end for now. Oh yeah, um, Peter Chivarelli, um, and he I, when I saw him last week, also he was with a guy who's much taller than him. Um, another Steve Brumbach, probably. Yes, it was those manager. two guys. Yeah, okay. They uh, they brought T-shirts for the studio audience. They brought um, these. Chicago it wasn't a tour book. It was kind of like a little history of the band. Yeah, the 50th anniversary yeah. thing. Yeah. Yes, and they gave those out to all the staff, and they're class act all the way. No, no one does that. Absolutely. Like I said, it's go, here's all about a little getting- gift for you. Thank you for having the band on. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. <laughs> Is that your uh, De Niro impression? Thank you for this, and thank, thank you. you for that. And you know what? I got this for you, and enjoyed that. Yeah, they do that. And we, is that a t-shirt? Yes, that is. <laughs> we made a, the music video for one of their Christmas songs four years ago, five years ago. Five years, Jesus. And uh, What were you, 13? Uh, yeah. And so we made, we were shooting it. I got to shoot at my friend's house in Northridge. And Lee came and brought t-shirts and the CD for everybody that was there, all the extras and everything. And it's like, that's... That just shows yeah. that they are about people getting the product and not about like looking cool, I guess. Right. I don't know, but they are cool. They are real cool. Uh, we are on to the album that uh, Wikipedia calls Regional Map. <laughs> this is uh, Chicago 11. Um, oh, that's right. There's a big hit on this, Baby What a Big Surprise. Mm-hmm. I brought that. I don't know which one I brought from that. I brought, um, I didn't bring one from this album. Let's hear Baby What a Big Surprise. Now, again, as I said, everyone writes in this band. Uh, drummer Danny Serafin has uh, three co-writes on this album. And uh, Panko writes, and Terry, and Satara, and Lamb, and, and Lee. They, they're, and it's Terry's last album. It, it is. Unfortunately, it is Terry's last album. You know this one, Kyle? Yeah. You've probably known almost every song we've played today. Uh, yeah, for the most part. Like, Other than a couple like 80%, of... eighty percent. A couple of 90%. deep cuts that Peter brought in, which yeah. is good. I'm glad you're bringing some of these deep cuts because I want... I always like when the listeners will send me an email and go, I've never heard that song before. I just went to iTunes and, and purchased that or whatever they say. Yeah. Whatever no, the fuck they say to me. I hope there could be. No like one a, emails me. I always make that up. I don't get any fan emails or anything. Emails, yeah. quotes. But I, that song is interesting to me because I always tell people like, imagine Hard to Say I'm Sorry or You're the Inspiration played 
with that instrumentation. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really not a big difference between the type of song, but just because it has that 80s sound, people automatically write it off as 80s. Right. It's like, no, they're, they're really good songs. Yes, they and are. that's a great song. That is a good song, but I but I do like the instrumentation better on this than I than I like. No, yeah, from me the, too. David the Foster, acoustic guitar yeah. in the background, and so um, so we'll talk about this uh, briefly. So Terry accidentally he was a, a gun enthusiast, mm-hmm. and he doesn't know that he thinks the gun's empty, but there's one in the chamber, right? And he's just goofing around. It wasn't intentional, and he's at Don Johnson's house. Is that correct? Yeah, they're they're well, not the. Not well, you the, took a deep breath there. Do you not want to talk about this? You seem no, little, I can talk you, about you seem it. Seem a little just, bit tense. No, I just you know I you you want to talk about it in a sensitive way because it's you know I, I obviously have never met Terry. I right. mean, I was not even born yet. But am I being insensitive? No, okay. you're not being insensitive all right. at all. It's it's um because we can just say he accidentally shot himself and it was a fatal. Injury. No, he did. Yeah, yeah, he did, and it was you know they weren't touring at the time. It was the very beginning of 1978, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, he was uh, hadn't slept for a while, I think, and it just you know, every Chicago fans know the story, but um, yeah. And I think, fortunately, I mean, th- the one the silver lining out of it is that they didn't see it happen. Yes, that would have been. Had yeah. they seen it happen, I mean, the Don Johnson guy, who's their keyboard tech, he saw it, and you know, I think he passed away a few years later, and himself i think oh terrible but it's you know it's had they seen it i think it would have been a way different outcome for them but danny was the only one who actually saw him um afterwards and the rest of them showed up to the house after he had already been taken away and so that's that's a blessing in disguise it's rough and you know the most amazing thing out of everything is that you think oh well they must have taken years off like they released an album six months later. I think they... That's like Back in Black with ACDC. Yeah, I like think you have to year. do that. I think you have to... Like what Most people, the average citizen, when someone dies, doesn't have the luxury of, I'll take two years off. Like, right. They have to go back to work. Yeah. And so they went back to work, and yeah. I think, you know, they had... People seeing the documentary, they had, you know, a good four years there where it was pretty murky and... And, you know, I think that they don't remember a lot of what happened at that time because of just how whirlwind it was, but they got through it and they ended up surviving. And yeah, when Lee talks about it in the documentary, he is still very overcome with grief and and tears. I mean, I mean, not that the other guys aren't, they are just able to compartmentalize those things now after all these years, but some people it's just right on their nerve at all times. Well, did you pick the song Alive Again from 13 or... Uh, let me see what I picked. Yes, he did. From okay. Hot Streets. Yeah, because that, or not 13, but yeah, Hot Streets, sorry. Um, that's actually written, Jimmy told me that he wrote that song as, because I asked him, that ha- that was about that, right? That's about you guys being okay after that happened. He says, yeah, you know, it's a love song, but it is, it can double as that. Yeah. So, so, um, so, th- so, Terry is not, uh, he's, he's not on, in, well, he's passed. They record Hot Streets, but now Jimmy Garcia is not involved in Hot Streets. Is that because of Terry's passing, or was he not going to produce them anymore anyway? That's another one of the stories that no one can seem to yeah. give a same answer on, and mm-hmm. I honestly don't think they remember. Okay. You know, I think that after the whole publishing fiasco mm-hmm. was figured out and they, 
renegotiated with them. I think that there was kind of a separating paths type yeah. thing, and they were going to go with someone anyways, different anyways. And then they had Phil Ramone, who and and Jerry uh, J- James Gershio, He's not interviewed in your documentary. No, uh, we asked him uh, several times, and mm-hmm. it was always a thing of I never spoke directly to him. Yeah. It was always his assistant, and what it was was absolutely he's going to do this. He's going to be in your film, you know, so on and so on and so on. And it was always yes, 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 yes. But at a certain point I was like, oh, you're delaying. Yeah. And then we just stopped asking because it was time. Is that a big disappointment that you didn't get him? I wouldn't call disappointment is you're right. It's. Does not, it does not detract from the end product. Right. Exactly. It, It doesn't, but. The first half of the movie... He's almost like... It would be like if you did a documentary... It would be kind of like if you did a documentary on the Beatles and George Martin would right. be interviewed because he was he was the whatever eighth, whatever member you want to call him, kind of. I think that Garcia knew, and this is not something he said, but this yeah. is just my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, a, he doesn't have to be in the documentary. Nope. But also, I think that he knew that by nature, he was going to kind of become the villain of the documentary. Just mm-hmm. because he knew that there was no way if I was doing a history of that we weren't going to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you well, know. It, it's so funny if 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 I was, but the Jimmy Garcia villain, anyways. Yeah, I would at least want to have my voice out there. Yeah. Just say, yeah. Did I take that much money? I did. That's the way it was done back then. And you that's know, what Danny sorry. Danny spoke for himself. Yeah. And Peter didn't. I mean, same yeah. thing with Peter. We asked him. You know, there's some people online who've been saying, oh, well, they only asked. They probably didn't even ask. And so you, okay, so I he asked did. Danny Serafin yeah. and I have Chris Pinnock in it, but I didn't yeah. ask Peter Cetera. And I asked David Foster, but not... Like, we asked everybody that was available. I mean, we couldn't find Donnie Dacus. Yeah. And then now he's Now he's, he's out available, and about. And yeah. it's like, I felt bad. I had to tell him, Donnie, we would have interviewed you, but I couldn't, yeah, find, couldn't you. find you. But with Peter, you know, we contacted everybody we could. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, you know, we had... We tried to have David Foster contact him and it didn't work. Yeah. He didn't want to be a part of it. He, his idea was that we were going to edit it and make him look bad. And it's like, he kind of looks bad now because he's not in it. Yeah. You're not in it. Danny looks great because he's speaking for himself. Right. I agree with you. There's no way that you're not going to look how the other guys think of you if you're not in it. I just can't believe that a guy like Peter Cetera makes all this amazing music with Chicago. And yes, he had, he had, he had some solo hits. Mm-hmm. No, he did. Some. He did. I, I but, love Glory of Love. Right. But, that, but his solo catalog doesn't stand up to the, the songs he made with Chicago even close. No, and, and to clarify. They're, uh, they're of a time. They're of an eight, the 80s. And this, and this Chicago, this early Chicago music that he was a part of is timeless music. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. To clarify what I said earlier about, you know, he didn't have a great solo career. Mm-hmm. I didn't mean that as an insult. Most no, no, people no, right. don't. I mean, Steve Perry doesn't have a, a great solo career no. out of Journey. Ringo Starr. I mean, they just, <laughs> George Harrison they had a couple albums that were really great. Now, can Steve Perry go on tour if he wanted to, and Peter go on tour if he wanted to, and play like music from their whole entire career, and people want to go see that? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ringo does it every year. Yeah. But. It's not an insult. It's just the way it it's works. It's the way it is. Not, not respect. I don't know if it's not respecting. I can't speak for them, but mm-hmm. not respecting mm-hmm. what it is that people liked about it. Yeah. It's not that they didn't 
they they love your voice. They mm-hmm. don't like Peter Cetera. They like your voice. They yeah. don't like Robert Lamb. They like Robert Lamb's voice, voice in writing. Yeah. You know, it's when you're that's part what of, people fall in love with. When you're part of Chicago and you're only responsible to write two, maybe three songs on an album, mm-hmm. and those songs just happen to be hit singles, and then you get in your head, I could write ten songs and do it on my own, and it and and you you maybe maybe you can't. Well, you know and he I mean? did. He, he did, did in 1981. I mean, he had yeah. his, I can't remember what the album's called, mm-hmm. but it has a couple really good songs on yeah. there. But I mean, Chicago 10, If You Leave Me Now, their biggest hit. Um, I don't even think he had, there weren't that many songs that he wrote on that album. Yeah. And that's what you just said. I mean, it's it's about the band and they are all yeah. playing together and making music that people like. If I'm going to be a hippie, I'll say it's all about the vibe. It's all about the vibe. Right, man? Yeah. <laughs> You look high today, Kyle. You do. Are you high? <laughs> no. Did you get high sleep last night? Yeah. Are your allergies acting up? Uh, I was having an allergy thing yesterday, and I took some medicine this morning. You did? Okay, because you know we have a cat. Yeah. All right. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, we did a tan- little bit of a tangent there. This is Hot Streets. This is now they don't, they don't put a number on this album. It would be Chicago 12. And that is on purpose. I think it was to reflect that they're moving forward and changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're on the, the front of this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, they look like a bunch of fancy boys <laughs> on the front of this album. Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely always listed as uh, awkward album covers, but I, I like it. Yeah, there's a, you know, it's, a, it's a fun, good time uh, thing here. It's, they're running around in motion. Mm-hmm. It looks like someone just said uh, that the, at the photo session, Okay, guys, now just everybody run around in a circle. Like we're playing, <laughs> as if we're playing musical chairs, and I'll just fire off some shots. Yeah. So um, this is Donnie Dacus on guitar. How many people did they audition? Do you know how many people? Uh, again, I don't think they know the answer to mm-hmm. that. I think it was, it was a lot, but uh, he just happened to work out, and he was going to be in Hair coming up. And Yeah, he, he's in the movie Hair. Yeah, and they went to the premiere. I just found pictures of that, too. Wow. So he was not in that before the band. It mm-hmm. happened after he joined. And um, he has kind of like a, what, what, I don't know what the guitar style that he plays. It's kind of a funky, kind of a, yeah, that kind of a thing. A, what's his name? Uh, the guy from Chic, or the guy who created Chic. Nile Rogers. Nile Rogers. Yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. of a little bit of that style. So, um, so and the, like you said, the Bee Gees are featured on a couple tracks on this album. Did you bring, what did you bring from this? Did you bring anything from I Hot don't Streets? Think I brought, uh, let me see. I think I brought, I didn't. I brought something from the 13. Okay, then I'll play the song we talked about earlier. Do I have a live again queued up? This is written by James Pankow with vocals by Cetera. eventually went platinum absolutely yeah that actually that song the first the rhythm of that song i read phil ramone's book and he said that the first take of the rhythm was what is on that track because it just sounded right versus perfect cool. and i just love stories like that and that went uh, that went up to number 14 on the billboard hot 100 so uh you know respectable 
Yeah, this was kind of the beginning of, you know, the dark period this is a of tough Chicago. Time. This just, come, yeah, this comes... Your yeah. best friend just dies, and yeah. you're trying your hardest to keep going, mm-hmm. and everyone's expecting it to sound like Chicago, like yeah. the old Woody Allen joke of everyone loves my earlier funny stuff. It's like, well, I'm trying to do this now. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, feeling beholden to your audience and also mm-hmm. trying to do something new all the time, so... And they let Donnie even sings a co-lead on a couple songs, and he had, takes a lead vocal on a song called "Take a Chance." So that's pretty, yeah. That's pretty welcoming too. You're not just filling Terry's shoes on guitar. You're gonna. I think they welcomed him with open arms, and I think, you know, with his exit, my perspective on it is that they had. had I don't think it had anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. I think it was that he wasn't Terry, mm-hmm. and then they got Chris Pinnock, who could play sort of like Terry, yeah. but couldn't sing. And so they're always just trying to replace Terry until, you know, until they got Keith. Fast forward Keith. I mean, they just great guitar player, you know. Yeah. He is they accepted him for being him. Yeah. And Chris Pinnock is not um is not an album cover looking guy. He's just like a big old kind of dude. Yeah. And like he, he he was very gracious in doing the documentary and he said as much about, you know, just I wasn't a singer. Yeah. I came in, I could play kind of like Terry, mm-hmm. but you know, but they kind of husky. I don't know if he was husky back then too, but he's, yeah, I think so. Yeah. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a band photo with Chris Pinnock in it. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he was a member or if mm-hmm. he was the touring musician or what, yeah. what that was. Cause I think on even the albums, he didn't really play on the albums that much. Cause Foster had his guys come in like Steve Lukather and, and you know, Lukather's <laughs> Steve Lukather. He's but, okay. Yeah, he's okay. He can stay. But um, no, yeah, I think Donnie just was in, and I, I feel to a certain extent bad for him because, you know, he came in and young guy and wasn't Terry Kath. It's a tough position. And it's a very, it's a very tough position. It's I don't almost blame a, Chicago either for no. it. So then, uh, and then they do, uh, they release uh, Chicago 13 mm-hmm. with uh, that, that video that's in the uh, documentary for Street Player. With the cats, the electronic cats. Walt's, Walt's interview about that. He goes, you know, I I don't know why we did that, but for whatever reason on that day, it sounded like a good, good idea. idea. Well, so many of those videos from that time, yeah. you go, what what the heck what are these cats on? on Roombas? What's so funny, because back then, those, those guys were musicians. They weren't filmmakers, so they're just like, all right, well, we're, we trust you. You know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, that's probably why they were a little had some trepidation with uh, this young kid Peter Pardini directing a yeah. What's this kid? Want? What's this kid gonna do? But so did you bring a song from Thirteen? Uh, I did. I picked um, a song called Reruns, and the reason I picked it is it's in the movie, but it also is one of those songs that um, the lyrics are incredibly ironic for mm-hmm. the time that they were written All in right. terms of just trying to get past Terry's death and ignoring their problems, I guess. And this is the only lamb vocal on this album. Yeah.
That's a good tune. Yeah, no, it's there's a lot of songs like that on these albums that people haven't really heard a lot. Yeah. And there's still something to find in there that's unique to Chicago. Yeah, I mean, even these albums that you might not know, if you just run through the songs, there's you're going to find some you like. Yep, uh, all the I, way up to the newest album. Right. I brought the song called uh, that Donnie actually wrote and sings on called uh, Must Have Been Crazy, just so we can hear what Donnie Dacus sounds like singing. I like this song. This is a good example of, a, of like with uh, Peter Cetera going solo. He sings one, two, three, four, five. He sings over half the songs on this album, and none of these were hits. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's that's you know. Yeah, I think at that time there was there was a change in the guard in terms of just people showing up, mm-hmm. um, not physically showing up, but just mentally. You know, Robert up. Robert says it in the documentary about how he just during these albums through Foster like really wasn't there. Yeah, that's a shame, too, because I really miss Robert Lamb on these albums. Yeah, no, and it's, but as Lee also says earlier in the documentary, like someone, whenever there's a lag in the career, somebody always steps up, um, you know, and it might cause, uh, I guess, personal problems with, you know, Satara's exit and all that um, later, but it still led to more longevity for the band. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Well, here's the the next album. This this next album, Chicago 14. I uh, have it in my iTunes. I have the whole album in there. But the other day, I was like, I don't think I've ever just listened to this like by itself. The thumbprint from, from start to finish. I love that album cover. Uh, and it's produced by Tom Dowd. I love his work with uh, Rod Stewart and Eddie Money. I, so I actually listened to this album top to bottom the other day because I'm like, I don't because there's not there's not one song title on here that I could read right now that anyone would know. Yeah. I uh, like American Dream and Thunder and Lightning. Those are the and, two. That and Thunder and Lightning was the single, and I think it went to like number 80-something. 80 80-something. 80 yeah. That's when you're like, ooh, what's going on? See that in the documentary, but, uh, the falling charts. Yes. Yeah. Do, you have a, do you have a song? I don't. Okay. I have uh, a Robert Lamb song uh, called Manipulation, so let's hear a little bit of this. I picked it because of the horns. You had me in your pocket. But I never could be bored I avoided traps you set out Too many have been caught Be it love or be it money It's the fate you must resist Be it milk or be it honey This is one more you have missed That's a great tune. Yeah. No, he, like we were saying, like he's a great songwriter, and I think even in his worst times is better than most modern songwriters. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's 1980, and at that point people just aren't buying Chicago records for whatever reason it is. Yeah. And it seems, you say 1980, that's 36 years ago. 
and you're like, and you know, and they're only, you know, 11 years into their career and now people just aren't, they don't, they're not buying it. They don't care. Things change so quickly. Yeah. I mean, if you think about stuff that was popular 11 years from now, I know like what was, what is it? 2005. Mm-hmm. I don't I know. Hoobastank. <laughs> I don't want to compare Hoobastank to Chicago, but right. you know, I know what you mean. Yeah. And Coldplay's kind of having a little bit of a, you know, and they were, although the top they're coming, the t- although they're playing the Rose Bowl. Yeah, but I was shocked at that. I'm, I'm not a huge really. Coldplay fan, but I mean, I, I like, I like the hits. a lot of their songs, yeah. but I and they seem like nice like guys. It's yeah. No, it feels like they're kind of, they're big because they're Coldplay yeah. more than they're releasing great music at right. this time, but they could release next year, the greatest yeah. album yeah. they've ever done. Whereas you too, know? I really feel are still releasing some great tunes. Mm-hmm. I call them tunes, Kyle. That's some kids call them With downloads tunes. would <laughs> be a good name for a band. No, it wouldn't. Uh, so at this point, Columbia is even not interested anymore. So they buy them out, right? Don't they pay them to leave? Basically, they released a greatest hits album and paid them to leave. And, then- and that greatest hits album is like just slapped together. It's, it really doesn't, it's really not a good companion to the first greatest hits album, in my opinion. No, what they needed, this is what they needed, though, I think. I think they needed a change, and they'd been with Columbia for so long. And you know, then they found uh, Irving Azoff, who'd worked with the Eagles, and Dan Fogelberg, and I think even Hall of Notes, maybe. David Foster had worked with all notes. Uh, Irving Azov uh, will never talk about music without mentioning the Eagles. <laughs> even even in your documentaries, like yeah. they're one of the best bands of of our time, Chicago. You know, along with blah blah blah, the Eagles. Blah. I'm like, all right, we get he it. He is he is uh, he is exactly how you think he is. He's a great businessman, mm-hmm. and just interviewing him was like, you know, him and Clive Davis. I feel like those mm-hmm. were the two where I was like, wow. Yeah, and David Foster. I mean, those three. Those, they really lent legitimacy to the movie, so that it wasn't just the guys who were in the yeah. band talking about their history. It was nice to have a a backup. Yeah. <laughs> Here they come. They're coming they're to get coming us. Coming for us. But no, I I'm really glad they were in the movie because it helped. And Tom Dowd and Phil Ramone are both passed away. Yeah, that was sad. And Phil, you know, I was work. I actually started working with him mm-hmm. um, after the Christmas album. I wrote a script for him. And we were about to go and try to get it made and he mm-hmm. passed away and it was, you know. And if, it, you know, if, if, if for some reason you don't know who Phil Ramone is, just listen to any Billy Joel album from The Stranger on. I mean, every single, that was Billy Joel's guy for. And Paul Simon. Yeah. And Paul Simon for all, all those years. So that's, that's who, um, He's who great. we talking about? Phil Ramone. Phil Ramone. Um, so now we go to Chicago 16. They're on a new label, Full Moon slash Warner Brothers. So they're still with a major label. Yeah. You know, and... Um, it's like Irving says in the documentary, you want to be on Columbia or Warner Brothers. Yep. And they ended up on Warner Brothers. And it was kind of a, a truly... Um, yes, it was distributed by Warner, but it really, to me, felt like it was an independent album mm-hmm. that they were able to do because they were Chicago and kind of had the luxury of the past in order to yeah. lure an artist like David Foster and to produce for them who they actually, according to Danny tried to get for, I think the album right after Terry's death and they nixed it cause they wanted to work with Phil. Gotcha. Yeah. And, um, this album is called computer chip on, <laughs> uh, on Wikipedia. Uh, for some, I don't know what it is about this album. I do, I'm not a, very, I'm not a big fan of this album. Right. I just don't know what I think it sounds too dated to me. No, I, I think most people would agree with the with the eighties 
it just sounds very, it's yeah. almost like it invented the monster right. ballad though, in a way. And they brought, they got outside writers on this, uh, Luke Ather and David Page and David Foster and Joseph Williams, who's the current lead singer in Toto. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is when um, Satara. John Williams' son. It is John Williams' son. Sorry, I'm burping. Uh, uh, Bill Champlin joins the band. Yep. I burp almost every show, don't I? Yeah. And what do I say when I burp? I'm burping. I'm burping. <laughs> um, uh, Laudier is gone. Yeah. Um, Bill Champlin joins. Uh, Chris Pinnock is on guitar, but not a band member. Um, and we got big hits on this album. We got Hard to Say I'm Sorry. Resurrects their career. Yep. And uh, Love Me Tomorrow. And did you bring a song from this album? I think I brought Getaway. All right, let's hear Getaway. And this is Robert. This is Robert's only song on the album, I think. And, uh, and this is him wanting to have the horns on the album represented, right? Yep, and, and Jimmy wrote the horn, actually did write the horn line for this and didn't get writing credit because oh, he says in the document, oh, he's just an arranger. <laughs> it's like the horn line is the melody. Yeah, I Getaway. agree with you. Okay, yeah. let's do it. sounds like a it could have been a part of the ballet yeah that's a very i mean i know jimmy wrote ballet but that seems like a very piece of the ballet yes. type song it may, maybe it was who knows it was probably in his head yeah probably um so yeah robert lamb does not sing uh one lead vocal on this album it's uh it's all peter satara and the new guy uh bill champlin mm-hmm. and um hard to say i'm sorry goes to number one yeah that's great yeah you know coming off of thumbprint with a top 87 song or whatever we said the uh, thunder and lightning peaked at uh this is a uh, this is good they're they're on they, they must feel hey we're okay here we go i think that they were just ready to accept anything if it was going to get them on the radio yeah. again just because you know you get used to having you know commercial success yeah and there's you know when that goes away it's like uh-oh and back then, you kind of needed the commercial success to fill the house mm-hmm. when you went on tour. Yeah, you know, and there's not a lot of pictures f- or footage from concerts. There's no footage of concerts like after Donnie left and before this. Yeah. So for two years, um, that's why. I and who just, knows what size venues they were playing at that point? I don't know. Yeah, I, I just got those pictures I was talking about um, from that from Kathy, and uh, they're all close ups on stage, so you can't see. No. You just see the hair and you see... Yeah, you don't know if the arena's half full or yeah, what's going on. But they came back with uh, strength. Yep, so that album sells 2 million copies and then two years later, this is this is the big... The, is this the top-selling album in there? In 17, the, I think so. Yeah, at 6 million copies. Crazy. Um, again, that would never happen again. I don't think no. even Adele's albums reach 6 million. 
Yeah, I mean, well, Taylor Swift. Maybe. I think she, she sells some albums. But um, yeah, this has Stay the Night, Hard Habit to Break, Along Comes a Woman, You're the Inspiration. I mean, there's there's four f- f- amazing hits. Yeah. and Great songs, great changes. Yep. People comment on Lee... Lee was saying that a lot of people say, oh, well, not a lot of people cover your songs. It's because a lot of bands now wouldn't be able to play those changes yeah, so seamlessly because they're not real musicians anymore. Lamb, uh, Lamb's got a couple lead vocals on this. Um, Hard Habit to Break isn't even written by the band. Steve Kipner. Yeah. Who also wrote Genie in a Bottle by uh, Christina Aguilera. That guy's doing okay. Yeah. I think he's that guy's just doing just fine. Two. But uh, Foster has a lot of co-writes on here. Uh, there's a there's a Champlin Foster Lionel Richie song on this called "Please Hold Me." Yeah. So, um, did you bring anything from Seventeen? It's almost one of those ones that you don't need to hear any song from it because you just those are so big. Yeah, I don't have any more songs until the, the most recent album because I brought a lot of songs from earlier albums. Okay, we'll, we'll get. I screwed up. Let's. Should we play "Hard Habit to Break" or "You're the Inspiration"? Hard habit. Let's play your hard habit because everyone knows you're the inspiration. I guess I thought you'd be here forever. Another illusion I chose to create. You don't know what you got until it's gone. Really strong vocal and on this. And by Champlin, too. Yeah, you're right. That's Champlin right there. sounded real good hearing that uh right now that sounded great their vocals are that's maybe their best my favorite bill champlin vocal at least and this is when this is when peter um showed up and he's really in he's 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 looking great he's ready he's ready to become a solo artist yeah and with four song four great songs off that album why not yeah and that must have been that must have really sucked coming off of your the biggest album in their career i'm not saying it's the best album in their career but it is the one that sold the most records and then for a core member and i don't want to say the lead vocalist of the band but well right no i know i know what you're saying for him to for him to say you know what i'm gonna why like why didn't he just go do a solo album i i think there's it's the he said she said Mm -hmm. this is that one story where I don't think yeah. any either party is necessarily like lying. Right. I think that in Chicago's perspective, the the other bandmates wanted to tour a lot. Yeah. And he didn't want to do that so much. And he um, doesn't even do that to this day. He doesn't tour no. a lot. No. And I think he felt, you know, he felt like he should be able to record a solo album. And they, I don't, 
from what they say, I don't think they had a problem with that because he already did it in 1981. Because Robert Lamb has a couple yeah. solo albums under his belt. Yeah, so I don't. I think it's just a mutual like who's going to break first, who's mm-hmm. going to like be the one to make the other one more upset, and it yeah. was just a, they needed it needed to happen. You would think they would have been at their happiest right now. I don't know. I mean, I think you know what I'm saying. I'm just as an outsider. I think that he probably felt like he had brought them from the dead, and he wasn't being respected enough. Is probably how he felt. Um, and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong. I'm yeah. just saying that you know, human beings are human beings. You're with someone for 18 years, and yeah, you have the only number one hits in the group. People are gonna think, you know, naturally. Hey, come on, I'm I'm the guy. Yeah, but I mean, what did he want his band members to go up to him every night and go, "Thank you, Peter. Thank you for singing these what number anybody, one hits." You know, what does anybody want? I know, you but know? I mean, geez, why do people? Why are they together for forty years yeah. and divorce after forty years? Yeah. You know, it's what what your your pat on the back is that you're having success with yeah. your what I'm assuming are your brothers. Yeah, he wrote. Uh, you know, you're the inspiration. He and Foster wrote that, and from what I heard, is that that was originally going to be for um, Kenny Rogers. Wow. And then it turned into a Chicago song. And, yep. and uh, Glory of Love was going to be a Chicago song, but then he left and was his first single. Yeah, don't give your good songs away, people. <laughs> right. Anyone, anyone who, if you're a performer, don't write a song, a good song and give it away. Yeah. Dummy. Prince wrote Kiss for Stevie Wonder, and Stevie Wonder said you should sing it. Oh, good. Yeah. He also wrote Manic Monday, and the bag was said, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll take On it. Napkin. <laughs> um so then Peter leaves, but David Foster stays. And goes with Peter. <laughs> and goes with Peter. That's got to be... That was, uh, yeah. It's, wow, you, you get both? <laughs> yeah. What a, what a great business move. I guess. Yeah, yeah. no, he, he got the best of both worlds. So we get a young Jason Chef comes in. Mm-hmm. And he's, uh, he's a bass player. Perfect. And he can, he can sing. sing. He can sing high. Mm-hmm. And... He's got an amazing head of hair at this point. <laughs> I mean, he still does, but I mean, years just older. crazy big locks, head of hair. And um, and who's on guitar at this point? Is it still, Dwayne Bailey. Dwayne Bailey comes in on this one? Mm-hmm. And it also says Lukather plays some guitar on here. Probably on the albums, yeah. And um, yeah, and so this, and they, 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 they re-recorded 25 or 624, mm-hmm. like update it. Yeah. They needed a departure, and they needed to... I think Pardo said on this tour, they opened with the new version and closed with the original version. Yeah. Um, it's a risky move. It is. In the... Um, listen to me. It is. In the Blade Runner risky. music video that they did. Yeah. What is uh, What song did I bring off Chicago 18? Um, uh, Will You Still Love Me? That's a big hit. Yeah. And Chef and Champlin are singing this. So let's hear uh, Will You Still Love Me. went to number three. I think so. Respectable.
Uh, and Chicago 18 sells a million copies, which by today's standards, that's a success. That's a win. But back then, it's five million less than the previous album. Yeah. And so, Terror got about a million too, I think. So yeah. So like split. Split the difference. And, um, but Jason's, Jason's great. And um, they probably felt like, well, this is a good, this is a good fit. Yeah. They and, kind of found a new way there. Yeah. And then Chicago 19 comes around and um, Foster leaves. They have Ron Nevison, who produced the big comeback albums for Heart, and he, he worked with so many people. And I really like 19. Bill, this is basically Bill Champlin's album, in my opinion. Um, I Don't Want to Live Without Your Love, and What Kind of Man Would I Be, and You're Not Alone. And uh, this song, Kyle, could you play uh, Look Away? Well, you called me up this morning Told me about the new love you found This is number one for two weeks Yep, their last number one album Yep Or song I'm really happy for you Found someone else I guess I won't be coming round This is written by Diane Warren Just nominated for an Oscar with yep. Lady Gaga It's really yeah, yeah. Everyone recorded Diane Warren songs in the 80s It's also Danny Serafin's last album It'll never be the way it used to be So if it's gotta be this way Don't worry baby I can take the news Okay, but if you see me walking by And the tears are in my eyes Look away, baby Look away And we meet A lot of outside writers on this album Yeah which happened again in, in the 80s. Bands, you know, Heart, Cheap Trick, they all used outside writers because they wanted to, you know, keep the momentum going, keep selling their these albums. So. Do you think it's kind of like a stand-up comedian where they start off writing all their own jokes and then at a certain point they they have to start hiring other people to write their jokes because it's just like, how am I supposed to come up with all this stuff? Or Maybe. It's just that uh, when, when if comedians have other writers, it's not in print somewhere that you can see. Right. Oh, Brown Shoes wasn't written by Steve Martin. Uh, right. This other guy wrote it for yeah. him. So, uh, absolutely. But, um, well, you know, to Danny's credit, Danny played on all the number one songs. Yep. He oh. has that. Did you, was that your, did you My crack? knuckle just cracked. Did you yeah. break your finger just now, Peter Pardini? I think so. Peter I Pardini is such a, that's such a fun name to say. Peter Pardini. Peter Pardini. <laughs> um, so now, um, I, I wish Chicago wouldn't have numbered the compilations in the live albums because that gets really confusing to me because the most recent album is uh, Chicago thirty six mm-hmm. colon now, but it's they don't but it, they don't have thirty six studio albums. You know what I mean? Yeah. How many is it? It's probably like twenty something. Let me see. Twenty four, twenty five. Let me see if I can find out. Twenty. It's their twenty fourth studio album. Yeah. And I wish they would have just numbered the studio albums. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to ask why 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 that is. Why could you tell them I'm disappointed in it? Yeah, I'll see. Pat Francis is really. Really, really upset. Um, so then they do the, the follow up to nineteen is uh, is is uh, they have another greatest hits package in there, and then twenty one comes out, and twenty one really doesn't do anything. There's not any songs on there worth. Yeah, and that's probably Triss's first album. Yeah, I think. yeah. Who's a great drummer? Oh, he's. I mean, you look at his pedigree from before. Yeah. Kenny Loggins, Alzaro. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's excellent. And uh, and another nice nice dude. Mm-hmm. Such a great guy. Uh, then they do a big band album. Mm-hmm. Bruce Fairbairn produces that. 
And um, I think that does, I mean, it doesn't sell a million copies, but I think people... People really liked that They one. did like that. That was a fun album. Then they do a couple compilations with one or two new songs. Um, Stone of Sisyphus is an album that uh, was rejected by the label. And then eventually that comes out. Which I don't know why. I mean, I know you, you hear it now and you're an like, album. There's so many albums that come out by modern artists now that I'm like, yeah. this is what you came out with. And I, I know. don't know. Why would you reject an album? I know. They, just, the band worked on this thing. Yeah. This no, and what, people seem to have come to, you know, come to like it, you know. Yeah, it was like for the longest time, you know, and I know this because of Jimmy Parter, that was like the, man, if they ever released that, you know, people had bootlegs of it or they had a couple tracks. I think a couple of the tracks appeared on some of these compilations. That's part of the curse is that it hadn't come out for so long and yeah. then it comes out and everyone's expecting it to be what they, what they expect. Yeah. Whatever that is. Right. And then you're just like, oh, that's just a Chicago album. Yeah. Uh, but so I'm going to jump us all the way now to 2006 uh, with the album 30 because mm-hmm. I love this song. This is one of my favorite Chicago songs, and this is uh, this was the single, and this is a Robert Lamb vocal, and this is called uh, Feel. So with that butter's pulling you in all directions, you don't know how much longer to take it. So you learn how to fake it. This is 2006. That smile on the outside's fading fast Like the things that you thought for sure would last But they didn't You know something's missing Is it your life you're not living? Your heart is cold, your soul is numb You don't like who you become that song so much he's I'm, just got a great voice i mean he just continue like it's amazing that even now at 71 yeah he sounds exactly the same mm-hmm. yeah he's um, a little bit deeper a little bit deeper but um yeah it's just uh i love it i love when he pulls out the keytar too and comes front and yeah <laughs> yeah no one rocks a keytar like uh like lamb so you brought some songs from the brand the most recent i brought one song i brought i believe i brought now which is, you know. Again, and I brought a song from that too, so great. let's hear yours first. Like this because of the guitar solo and horn lines. It's vintage Chicago sounding to me. Is that Jason singing that one? Yep. Jason wrote that song um, with I think Greg Barnhill is his name. But um, yeah, I really like that song. It gives Keith a chance to really show his yeah. guitar playing. Um, he doesn't really 
get enough credit for how great he is. Yeah. Within the group, I mean, obviously he does, but I just feel like, you know, you're there for 20 years and it's, it's a hard position because people go, yeah, yeah, he's playing Terry's licks. But I mean, yeah, you oh, try people to play. say that about my uncle. Oh, he's yeah. doing Bill Champlin. It's like, no, he's, I've heard my uncle sing my entire life. That's yeah. what he sounds That's like. That's what he sounds like. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's easy, you know, people who don't play an instrument or anything and to just sit there and go, yeah, that's all. He's just an imitator. He's not. That's, not that's spoken by people who don't have necessarily the talent <laughs> to people, people who don't, can't do it themselves are very quick to say that person sucks. The, the world of the internet blogging and posting and commenting. I'm Shut learning it with up. my movie now with the trailers. Yeah, and you know what? Out. Look, you just got luck. You just got to let it go. Mm-hmm. Don't you seem like a person that's going to take that to heart. Well, I will to start out, but I'll learn to my wife. And my wife, my wife, and my wife, <laughs> Scott Huckerman. She <laughs> could have, uh, she could have a thousand positive reviews, and then there could be one, and she'll go, "Oh my god!" And I'm just like, "Fuck that guy." Me, if I read a negative review, I will read it on the show. I will go look at it, listen to this. And another thing, like on iTunes especially, if someone gives you a bad review, click on that person's name and see the other things he's reviewed, just, and then and then see negative. what he's liked, yeah. or see what he's liked. Oh, yeah. this guy likes Ted Nugent's brand new album. Okay, well that guy's a, an idiot. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, the one I get is, oh look, another another hagiography documentary from Chicago. It's just all, oh, look how great we are. I'm like, you. I am so tempted to be like, have you seen the film? Yeah, don't engage. I'm not going to say engage, I haven't engaged at all. But don't take all, it but. to, don't take it to heart. Now, the the song you just played is from uh, is from Chicago, uh, thirty five colon now. Um, that is from 2014. Thirty six. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. You're right. 36. So people can buy it. Buy I mean, it. They can buy it now. Yeah. Um, it's uh, this is the this is the current lineup of the band: Robert Lamb, Walt Parazader, Lee Lochnane, uh, James Pankow. Those are the original members. Then Jason Sheff and Keith Howland and Tristan Bowden. They've been with the band for twenty plus years. And then Lou Pardini. He's been there now for what eight years, maybe? Yeah, almost eight. And and Wolf. How do you say his name? Wolfredo. Wolfredo, and he goes by Wally. Wally, and he's been there for how many years now? Four. But this is the current lineup. I when this album came, I don't I don't feel like this is the last Chicago studio album we're gonna see. I, feel, I think they're already working on new music, but we'll see. Well, before we play our playout song, I want to play a song that Lou Pardini sings lead vocal on. So let's hear a little bit of "Nice Girl." I love the need a ballad, don't you see? I keep guessing, keep on pushing boundaries She's so dramatic, she seems to panic ultimately I want to show her no need to go there honestly She's a nice girl, no doubt about it She shows me every day She's a nice girl, oh, figure it out she walks away. Maybe it's me who makes it's a great vocal. Yeah. I love how Chicago's stage is set up now with keyboards on on the, the back rides or on either side, drums and then percussion in the middle, and then bass and guitar and the horns all out front. It's just it just looks so slick. It works. It's symmetrical. It is. It's great. I and I like symmetrical. I think yeah. that's what I like. Um, so that was your uncle Lou Pardini. Uh, that was your dad's brother. Mm-hmm. 
Is, man, is your dad still with us? Yeah. Whew, okay. <laughs> yeah. And are they close? Car crash what's yesterday. Your, what's your dad's name? Peter. Pe- Whoa. Yeah. That's not. Oh, that's the it's guy who directed. He, thing. he directed this uh, new uh, documentary. Yeah, my dad. Yeah, I actually. So just you're a junior. You're a junior. Uh, I'm not a junior. I'm Peter Curtis Pardini. And what's your dad's middle name? Curt- Martin Curtis. Peter <laughs> okay. Martin. Peter Martin Pardini. Mm-hmm. Is your dad musical? Um, I got my musical taste from him. Okay. Um, and my movie taste, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, my uncle's the only one that plays an instrument. My mm-hmm. uncle Rob can play, but he's not yeah. a musician or anything. Now, are you close with your uncles? Mm-hmm. You are absolutely. Yeah, we. Kyle, uh, are you close with your uncle? Yep. All right. Cool. <laughs> how close though? Are we? How close are we talking here? <laughs> um, but I would, you know, we have. Oh, I'm the one he's close with. I know. I'm <laughs> You're not close with any other uncles. No. Be honest. Okay, I'm sorry, Peter. No, it's all right. We had lots of Christmases and mm-hmm. and Thanksgivings together, and and uh, it's always been a very close, tight knit family. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I remember, we were raised Catholic, also. Yeah, it's it's very Catholic, mm-hmm. very just close. And my uncle would always play, uh, you know, on the piano mm-hmm. every time we'd get together, and it just is like surreal now to be seeing him up on this venue. Yeah. And, and it's do you, amazing. Do you call him Uncle Lou? Mm-hmm. That's what I used to be Uncle Pat, but now we don't refer to each other with names, really. I might have to watch myself. I like think when I, I send him an Lou. email, I don't put Pat, but I don't want to write Uncle Pat. Yeah. So now I just put up. You, you pee. Yeah. You pee. Yeah, yeah. Up. Um, that, ter- that terribly sad Pixar film. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, so whenever Chicago's in the area, you, you're in. Yeah, pretty much. Let me it's ask you the, something. The sucky thing. Well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What's the sucky thing? The sucky thing about being in LA area is that everyone always wants tickets. Everyone always wants tickets. And then I, I could get them if they were anywhere else, but I can't get them in LA for whatever reason. I know. It's like, if you were in Texas, I'd be like, yeah, what do you need? So what do you You're do? You're 30. Yeah, <laughs> but, exactly. so, but you can, you worked for the band, you did this document, you can go. Well, I can go, but I can, I, I usually, like I but said no earlier. But no plus one. Well, like I said earlier, I don't ask for stuff. I just go and just stand off to the side because it's. But I mean, you I don't. don't take... You don't have to buy a ticket. No. You show up and you get you. Well, I just bring my tour pass, and then if I bring my girlfriend, I just bring her in with me. You have a tour pass that's good for the whole tour. Uh, I do. They have one every single year. So how do you changes. get? It, how do you get in the gate, or do you come in the backstage area? Well, I just call the road manager, and they just come out and get me. All right, cool. I got the in. That's cool. But yeah, no tickets for LA. Sorry, people. Yeah, I, when Steve Lukather was a guest on the show, and I said, "Nice, nice, Steve." I said, "When you guys come to LA, since we're friends now, <laughs> I go, can I call you Luke?" I was doing all that stuff. I go, "I can come to the show, right?" He goes, "He goes, oh, yeah, you and everybody else." Yeah, exactly. He's impossible <laughs> in LA. Well, if you're ever outside of, if you're ever there, or play like in uh, Hershey Park, Pennsylvania, they play. Yeah, or even like somewhere else in California, mm-hmm. like Modesto. I yeah. can get to that. But when people are like LA, Santa like, Barbara. What if they come to Santa Barbara Bowl? That might be possible. Yeah, that's not bad. It's a pretty good one. I'm looking forward to the Hollywood. I'm going to go to the Hollywood Bowl thing this summer. But you should. Is there yeah. going to be fireworks at that? I've, yeah. I've, and yeah. When Chicago plays, the, there will be. And they're playing on the Fourth of July, so Saturday wow. in the park. Hey, um, enjoy that traffic. Yeah. No, it's going to be great. <laughs> I, my my plan is to go to the band hotel and drive in with them on their bus, so that I don't have to deal with traffic. You know what? That's my plan too. <laughs> but just in the undercarriage. <laughs> what is um? What I was going to ask you one more thing, and then we'll get out of here. Um. Oh, what was the other thing I wanted to ask you? Chicago. It was about Chicago. Really? <laughs> what if it wasn't? What if it was just about something else? I can't remember what it was. Uh, look, this documentary, it's going to go to some festivals. 
It already has been in festival. We won two out of the three festivals we were at, and the second one we lost to an Oscar winner. You won prize. What kind of prize you get? You get a medal? You get a certificate? You get a certificate? A statue. A statue? We won at Sedona. We we had the highest overall audience rating of any film in their history. We had 4.87 out of 5, and there was another film that had a little bit higher, but we had... 1,500 people who saw it, and so no one gave it under a four. Now, I'm not taking away from that win. Were these Chicago fans, or were these just people that, like, would Chicago fans have known that they could go to this? Yeah, I would say out of the 1,500 that saw it, that there was probably like 200 that were Okay, that's, I mean, that's great. That's great then. But I mean, uh, it's great anyway. You could have no, told me yeah. 1,400 Chicago fans went, and that's still amazing. Absolutely. So it's uh, we won that. We just won Fort Myers, which was a mm-hmm. smaller festival. It was still, you know, it's nice to go to the yeah. two sides of the country and win at both both ends. So what's the next what's the next step for this thing? Distribution. Distribution. And then is that when uh, DVD and Blu-ray releases come along with distribution? Mm-hmm. We already have we have a deal that's happening, mm-hmm. but I can't say anything. So it's of but it's not. coming because that's the number one question I get online is when can I see it? And say, like, trust me, well, here's we're what, trying. We're not just <laughs> not going to release this. Yeah, thing. right. Here's what's great about this show is. Once you have that deal in place and once it's public, you tell me who it is and then I contact them and I say, hey, Peter was on my show. We promoted the documentary. Send me some copies and then I'll get in touch with you and you'll sign those and then we'll give those away to the listener. Great. Whenever I have, and that's not, whenever I have guests on. My signature's worth nothing. (laughs) No, but you're the director of this film that's won awards. That's true. Yeah. And, but what what I'm saying is whenever I have guests on that have, like when, when Steve Lukather was on, his uh, record label sent me CDs and he signed them. I always do that kind of stuff. So that's great. It, it, it's once this is locked in people, I will give copies of this away. Uh, but also go buy it. You're going to love it. You're going to like it. It's now, really a great documentary. Are you afraid people think it's the history of the city, Chicago? Oh yeah. Uh, that's actually already happened. We were at the, <laughs> there was no fire. We were, <laughs> we were zero. The, I, this is a true story. I was at Sarasota and we sold out both screenings and, I was there, and I hear these people behind me. They're like, I'm really looking forward to this film, blah, 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 blah. And they, then they, someone heard that I was a director, and he goes, did you talk about Al Capone? <laughs> I thought he was joking, and I was like, oh, yeah, we go into all the bootlegging. And, and then I hear more people talking about it, and this woman goes, oh, I can't wait to learn about this city. And this oh my God. woman next to me goes, it's about the band Chicago. And she goes, oh, Really? Ugh. And then she gets up and walks out. Forget it. <laughs> she was so pissed that it was not about the the long storied history of 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 the city. That's nuts. No fires. That's nuts. <laughs> okay, uh, Peter, are you? Do you have a website? Peterpardini.com. I don't know how people are going to remember that. Just add me on Facebook. <laughs> it's like if Pardo were a magician. Do you have a? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a fan page on Facebook? Yeah, Peter Pardini, writer, director, editor. Okay, so like Peter on Facebook, go check out his website. I know you don't tweet a lot, but you are on Twitter. Yeah, and I have an Instagram, PCP747, and... Uh, PCP, that's drugs. That's my initials. Okay. <laughs> Peter Curtis Bardini. It's that my dad said that when I was born, he went to, to work and told everyone what my middle name was. The guy at the cook it was like, PCP? Are you kidding? And my dad's like, yeah. oh, he didn't my, realize. My youngest uh, was going to be named Anna. And her middle name was always going to be Dora after my grandmother. And my my real last name is Dodson. So she would have been ADD. And my wife said, nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so now she's not Anna. She's Rita. But, um, uh, and did you give your Twitter out? At? 
Uh, I actually don't even, I don't look at it. I think it's PCP 747. All right. So, so shows how much I know. All right. Well, you're going to have to start tweeting about this thing when it starts to. I know. I know. Right. We're using, well, you can go also follow uh, Chicago. Chicago, the, uh, I think their Twitter is Chicago the Band mm-hmm. and everything's Chicago the Band. So. And if you want to, what if I want to find out about the city of Chicago? Just Chicago the City at uh, Chicago the City? Yeah, you can catch some flights on Chica- southwest.com. Chicago.gov. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Kyle, you are at Kyle Dotson Funny. I am. I am at Pat underscore Francis and I, we are at Rock Solid Show. Kyle, you're working on a new website for us. How's that coming along? I am. Uh, it's not, it's it's coming along. I don't know when this is going to drop. This, this so. isn't going to drop for a while, if that's okay with you. It's fine. Maybe it'll coincide so with there, whenever. There might be. I might be able to tell you when it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. It just it's just cleaner looking. It's not like we're not getting rid of Andrew or anything. No, like no, that, no, yeah. no, no, no. No, it looks great though. It yeah. looks amazing. And then Andrew, you'll get all that info on that on how to. Uh, we're talking to Andrew, about Andrew Rich, who does our notes for all the shows. I, I hope by the time this drops, we'll have talked to him about it. Yeah. It'll also be, uh, it'll still be uh, rocksolidpodcast.com. Uh, yeah. Um, the other day, I was trying to figure out who owned that URL. I didn't know if someone, and, and then I eventually found out that I own it. Nice. So, <laughs> all right, I'm an idiot. Uh, so, we're going to play out, Peter. Peter, thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, the documentary is, is uh, now more than ever, The History of Chicago, the band. And... Um, <laughs> I can't wait for people to see it. I know you're excited for people to see it. Yes. It's a really entertaining documentary. It's got some great footage. If you've never seen the members of Chicago ride horses, you will see it in this documentary. <laughs> yep. Uh, uh, there's some celebrities in this thing, too. We got uh, Joe Montaigne, and we got Jimmy Pardo. So um, <laughs> these guys, uh, these guys, um, not in that order, no. Jimmy Pardo and then Montaigne? Yes, always. And um, and that's it. Let's play. Uh, let's play out with uh, probably the I think I think maybe the quintessential Chicago song all the way around, twenty five or six two four. Rock solid. <laughs>